the main bulk of the game is made up of walking and running and jumping. You also have a punch and a kick where he... <laughs> you're going to love this, Rich. Every time I did the three-button combo, uh-huh. all I could hear was, hot, hot dog, hot, hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> what is he saying there? Anything? Or I don't just... know. I don't know. He might just be making grunting noises. Like, huh, huh, duh. like I don't know. I'm, I'm never going to sure. hear anything but hot dog every time I play this <laughs> Good. game. Now. <laughs> now you can't unhear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where the single banana and I, GreyGhost81, discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and shared by a community of gamers on RFGeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter and Discord. In this episode, Rich and I will throw back to the Super Nintendo for a little-known fantasy action platformer known as Skyblazer. Stay tuned to find out if you should break the bank on this Holy Grail cartridge or not even bother to emulate it. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts and Podbean or just visit rfgplaycast.com. On Twitter, I'm at RFGPlaycast, and Rich is at TheSingleBanana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RFGeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. See, I've been hurting so many times 
Check, check. One, two, one, two. Check, check. One, two, one, two. Levels are good. Aw, oh, damn. I don't have a pen. Always got to have a pen, man. I like to make notes as we're going. I think I found a little mm, mechanical pencil. Upgrade. Nice. So speaking of mechanical, <laughs> I did some amateur plumbing again, which is, uh, I think, like three episodes ago or something like that. I had done some amateur plumbing before recording, and it's like deja vu. The bidet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had to get my bidet back up and running the last time. Uh, This time, similar situation, but it's a different toilet. I'm so wealthy that I have two full bathrooms. Mm. Living large. Yeah, making that lettuce. So the other toilet that doesn't have a bidet actually has this bad habit of overflowing like once or twice a year Mm. and... This was not remedied by having the toilet fixed after the winter storm, apparently. We thought it was, but this morning I woke up and the bathroom was flooded. So I don't know the initial reason that is causing the like every once in a blue moon overflowing, but the reason it's overflowing into my bathroom is because the overflow tube was too high. Ah. So it was above the flusher handle. So the water's just coming out of the flusher handle. So there are a couple of ways you can remedy this. One is to take the overflow tube out and cut it so mm-hmm. that it's lower so that if the water level rises too high, it just goes into the overflow tube. But because I was feeling some laziness combined with big brain energy... <laughs> I took my drill (laughs) and drilled the hole in the overflow tube just above the water line. That's smart, yeah. And it seems to work. So whatever seal is leaking in there that leaks every once in a while, if that happens again, it'll just slowly seep into the tank overnight, and next time it flushes, it'll be fine. We won't even notice it. Yeah, why in the hell would someone put your drainage tube that high? Uh, it was the same guy who disconnected ah, my bidet because uh, right, he okay. it was. So. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Explains a lot. <laughs> Say no more. The man doesn't know anything about the plumber's tape. So, uh, yeah. wow. Probably time for that guy to find a new job. There's plenty of them out there right now. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. You know what? I don't want to get political, but I've been holding something back for like the last three days that I wanted to share on the show before sending this message to you or any of my friends. A few days ago, just to kind of give you an idea of when we're recording, there was a guy that drove a bomb to the, quote, Capitol building, which ended up being the Library of Congress because he was so stupid. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you see about this on the news? No, I didn't even hear about that. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It happened like two or three days ago. Had a big jacked up black truck and had a homemade bomb on it. You know, complete idiot. Ended up surrendering. The disturbing thing about it is this guy is from the town next door to where I grew up. (laughs) I mean, exactly next door. My father used to work in this town and I did for a summer as well, but... It's unbelievable. I don't want to say small world. That's because it's a world you don't really want to be associated with, right? So, uh, Rich, all you had to do was tell him what kind of snake was in his garden on next door, and this wouldn't have happened. Right. He would have totally lost his shit. <laughs> uh, so, um, speaking of terrorism, 
last night, my wife and I watched our first horror film with our daughter, who turned 13 in May. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. We were like, what is a good movie to kind of start her out with? Because, you know, I mean, we love horror films. They're fun. And it's just a cool experience to do this with your kid. But this is our first child. So we're kind of like, when is too early? When is it okay to do this? So I was thinking 13 is probably okay, right? Because I think I saw my first when I was like eight or nine, which was way too early. But I thought this was a nice time to introduce her. So the one we started out with was Scream. Because I thought, hey, this is sort of like a teen drama as well. So mm-hmm. I thought she'd really be into that. Plus, she loves Drew Barrymore. So it was kind of fun watching her face as Drew Barrymore dies in the first 10 minutes. Spoiler. <laughs> she loved it. She had a great time with it. I could see her over by my wife clutching her arm and, you know, tensing up at certain moments. So it's kind of funny. But things seem to go fairly well with that viewing. Is Scream a film that you enjoy watching? Yeah, I haven't seen it in a very long time, but I love that movie. I would acknowledge it as a horror classic that it is. Probably about a month or two ago, I went down a rabbit hole of, I found a YouTube channel that was devoted to the Scream franchise. I wish I knew the name, but it was a while back, but I I watched a bunch of his videos and they were highly entertaining. Yeah, like most series, I feel like the first two are really good films, and then it kind of falls off after that a bit. So we're actually going to be watching Scream 2 after this call today. So (laughs) she's pretty excited about watching that. Something just popped into my head, Rich. Did you ever listen to that group clipping? I think I might have recommended them to you. I do not remember that. I do not remember that recommendation at all. Okay, so... For you and for our listeners, I know we're not into the concert cast yet, but there's this hip-hop rap group called Clipping, and their last two albums have been horror-focused, and uh, they actually have a song on the newer album called 96 Nev Campbell, (laughs) and it's kind of, uh, in a way, a tribute to the original Scream and her performance. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but you got to check out those two albums. I bet you you'll be hunting for them on vinyl as soon as you hear them. (laughs) Nice, man. (laughs) All right. So speaking of horror films, man, my transitions are so on point today. (laughs) We are hosting our ninth spooktacular film festival. We're doing it outside again with the blow up screen. And the reason I mention it so early is one, I'm so slow to get these damn episodes out. And hopefully this will be out before October. But secondly, I just announced the films in our Facebook group the other day. So uh, I've had these films planned out since like February of this past year. (laughs) I, I know that's kind of crazy. I'm a little nutty when it comes to making lists and doing stuff like that. But this year I decided to do a theme based on something really stupid I said at one point. So I'm not going to tell you what the theme is, but if any of our listeners can figure out the theme, I will send you a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle inspired mug. So if you can put all these films together and what they have in common, send me a PM and let you know if you get it right and I'll shoot you a mug. Awesome. So not to delay any further, which films we're watching. We're watching Near Dark, Slumber Party Massacre, American Psycho, The Invitation, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Candyman, and Ravenous. So uh, it's quite the lineup. We're doing one film a week. But of course, uh, you know, I'm going to start last weekend in September and we're going to end it the week after Halloween, actually. So, you know, it's one of those things where I get to the end of it. I'm so disappointed because it's such a fun event 
And uh, we bought like a small fire pit last year for our driveway and had the big movie blow up screen and made a really, really cool event out of it. Everybody can spread out and uh, in this current environment, it's a really fun time. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, I don't really have a good transition for this next part, but let's get into uh, any mistakes that our asshole friends might have pointed out, Sean. Sure. Well, you're going to have your asshole friends hanging out in your driveway watching horror movies. <laughs> sure. So let's talk about <laughs> any mistakes our asshole friends No mistakes out. on transitions this month. <laughs> so I don't have any, but I do have one major and very good news update. And that is Disaster Report 4, which I've talked about, I don't know, probably five or six times. A game I haven't played yet, but I love the franchise so much. This game, when it launched on the PlayStation 4 as well as the Switch, as soon as it came out, it was very hard to find on the PlayStation 4. Mm -hmm. And I was just very lucky at the time to find an eBay seller who was selling them at retail. So I got my copy at launch for 60 bucks and then immediately it was very hard to find the game for less than like 100 150 dollars on the ps4 you could still get the switch copy it was pretty available mm -hmm. but i just wanted to update again this is not a mistake it's just <laughs> things have changed <laughs> um i guess the game got reprinted or another run because if you go on amazon right now we're recording the end of august 2021 here you can purchase a game brand new for $38.99 on the PlayStation 4. So that is very good news for people who missed out on a chance to own the game physically. Yep. And uh, I think that's really cool. So I wanted to just throw out a little update there. Yeah, I think they only sent like one or two copies to each GameStop. It was a very, very low run with that first one. So it's good to know that they're doing a second print of that. Maybe they were just kind of testing the waters with it. But uh, yeah. Kind of sucks knowing that it might not be as valuable going down the road. <laughs> I was just thinking about yeah, maybe yeah. picking up an extra copy. This seems like <laughs> one of those games that will rise in value, even maybe with the second printing, you know? Yeah, we shall see. I can't make head. <laughs> we'll talk about this when we're when we're talking about scores, but like or pickups. Yeah. I can't make heads or tails of this market. Nobody can it's right insane, now. It's insane, man. Yeah. Even the most popular games, you'll find like four or five copies in a store are just shooting through the roof right now. It's nuts. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, you know, not a mistake last month, but when we were talking about Metal Gear Solid 2, at the end of the call, I said, oh, shit, I forgot to mention the seagull poop. <laughs> yeah. Let's throw that in here. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to talk about that because it's one of the best parts of the game. Yeah, it's just funny, especially you can encounter this right in the very beginning of the game. Yep. If you kind of just goof around on that first platform, he will slip and fall on his ass on the seagull. <laughs> and it, it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and there's other uses for it, right? Well, I remember in the boss fight with Darth Vader in the bomb suit on rollerblades. It's <laughs> the only way I can describe this character because I can't remember his name. I think it was like Fat, Fat Man, Man or something yeah. like that. There's actually seagull poop up on that roof, and he accidentally slipped in it a few times as I was fighting him, and I was able, you know, to take the headshot. So nice. there's that use of it too, though. I don't know if you can really use it to your advantage. It just kind of happens within the game. Awesome. I'm so glad we got that in. Mm hmm. <laughs>
So what do you say we go ahead and jump into the concert cast for this month? Yeah, man, I'm so excited. We tied our question of the month into the concert cast this month. So if you follow us on Twitter at RFG Playcast, follow me on Instagram at Sean Gray, follow our Discord from the front page of RFGeneration.com, and best and certainly most important, follow the playthrough thread on RFGeneration.com. Those are all places where you can see the questions and answer them. So being that it's a very universal question and there are thousands of examples of it, I got so many responses and I'm so excited to (laughs) go over them because I listened to every one of these songs. So the question is, what is your favorite breakup song? So let's go ahead and get started here. I'm going to say I usually just rely on the social media and people to see it and respond. But in this case, I kind of went out and sourced some answers from people who I know are music lovers and would have good answers. So I was texting people, I was DMing some people, and uh, I'll let you know where I got these answers from. But let's start with Twitter, as we usually do. Again, at RFG Playcast to participate here. Uh, Let's start with Bill. He said, I tend to go with heavy stuff for breakups. So maybe three days grace. I hate everything about you. Avenge sevenfolds almost easy. Pretty much anything by breaking Benjamin, but especially so cold diary of Jane and breath. So there's Bill. He likes his post grunge rock as we talked about. I think I might have heard one of those songs before. (laughs) I hate everything about you. I think that's it. Yeah, I actually listened to uh, a couple Avenged Sevenfold songs because another one came up that you'll hear about a little bit later. (laughs) Didn't Ugly Kid Joe do a song like that? I hate everything about you, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Well, I'm mistaken then. That's the one I was thinking about. Yeah, 
Next, we have Chris at CollectorCast. He linked a YouTube video from a song by Bob and Tom, and the song is called <laughs> I Hope You Die. Uh, it sounds like a radio thing, like a radio it is. comedy bit. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. It's very dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's linked on our Twitter if you want to check that out. Next, we got Pony Trigon. He, again, linked a YouTube video. The group is called Star Set, and the song is called Fault Line. I listened to it. It was a pretty cool song. It sounds like kind of more on the like modern rock kind of vibe, but great song. Cool. And lastly, on Twitter, we got our good friend Kevin at Buried on Mars. He linked Harry Nilsson's You're Breaking My Heart, which I'm not familiar with the artist, and I didn't know what to expect going into the song, but it's another kind of salty not as comedy driven as the Bob and Tom song, but uh, meant to be a little bit tongue in cheek. So yeah, definitely recommend checking that one out. All right, let's go over to Instagram. I have some <laughs> DMS with my coworkers first and foremost. So I have my friend, Emily, who was actually the person who was formerly known as Erin Sky. That was her modeling name. She uh-huh. retweeted our podcast a couple of times, which got eyes on it. So thanks, Emily. She said, Jocelyn by Olivia O'Brien or Acapella by Carmen. Have you ever heard either one of these songs, Rich? I have not. Okay. They're both pretty good pop songs. And then she added As If by Black and Black is spelled B L. Q-U-E, if you know that group. Nope. Okay. <laughs> also a cool song. <laughs> Again, I listened to all of these just because why not? And then Party for One by Carly Rae Jepsen, which is one of those female masturbation songs, uh, kind of like okay. Shebop or uh, Charlie XCX has a song like that too as well. So next we have Clint, one of my coworkers. He said Walk Away by Five Finger Death Punch. Which I think I confused them with Avenged Sevenfold, so maybe I didn't hear two Avenged Sevenfold songs. <laughs> uh, and then the group Ten Years, the song Beautiful. So those are from my friend Clint. Oh, he added another one, Seven Dust, Face to Face. I don't think I listened to that one. I think that one snuck by me. Jeez, man, most of these songs I've heard more modern songs. Wait till you hear my list. I mean, you're going to realize how old as <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm sorry, I should have thought to send you a playlist so that you could have heard some of these. Hey, well, maybe these can be on a uh, Spotify playlist. Oh, I'll definitely make one for this episode. Absolutely. Next, we have our good friend, Corey Robertson. He said, my favorite breakup song is You're So Last Summer by Taking Back Sunday. And now I got a note here because Taking Back Sunday is one of my favorite bands. It's one of Corey's favorite bands. And I just want to note here that the song You're So Last Summer has one of the most quintessential emo lyrics of all time. It's infamous. It's famous. It's loved. It's hated. The lyric is, the truth is you could slit my throat and with my one last gasping breath, I'd apologize for bleeding on your shirt. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I just had to throw that out there. But that's a great song off their first album. All right. So let me see. So my good friend Sarah from New Jersey, I've gotten responses from her before. I always DM her when we do anything involving music or nostalgic kind of answers. So she said, Skinny Love by Bonnie Vera. I know that's one that uh-huh. you know. 
It's on my list. Yeah, okay. So you probably know this next one too. Lover You Should Have Come Over by Jeff Buckley. Uh, I don't know that one, actually. Oh, okay. But I do want to point out that the uh, Bonnie Vare song, my wife actually mentioned that song. Because I, I did ask her, and I'll get to her answer later, but she's the one that mentioned it. And I was like, oh my God, oh yeah, it's a great song. But that did make my honorable mentions. Yeah, great track. And then she added... Lastly, Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone by Bill Withers. Mm-hmm. My dad used to sing that all the time. And uh, she lost her dad a, about a year ago. So, Also on my honorable mentions list. Nice. And then Sarah's, let me just say, no account teenage daughter said, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Not Allowed by TV Girl and It's Only Sex by Car Seat Headrest. Do you like Car Seat Headrest, Rich? The, the, I've never heard them, be- man might be in your wheelhouse. You might want to check them out. Okay. All right. I still got more. I texted my neighbor, James, who is the drummer for the band Grandchild. Again, go check out Grandchild on Spotify. That's two words. He said, Helio Sequence Lately and Band of Horses, No One's Going to Love You, which Mm -hmm. are both really cool songs. And then I asked him to ask his no account wife, and she said, Carrie Underwood before he cheats. Now, you got to know this one, right? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, if, if you sang the chorus, I probably would know it. So before he cheats, I had to look it up. But as soon as I heard the song, I knew it. It's the one where Carrie Underwood smashes up his car. I took a Louisville slugger. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's okay, that song. yeah, I just did not know the song title, but I do know the song. Yeah. yeah. All right. So now let's go over to Discord. And you're going to like this next answer, Rich. Is it Radiohead? No, close, <laughs> close. Uh, from Corkman77, he said, it's a cover of a Bob Dylan song, but this is the version that got me through a rough time. Best lyrics at a minute and 57. I gave her my heart, but she wanted my soul. Mm-hmm. And that is Don't Think Twice. And yep. he linked the Mike Ness cover of that song. Interesting. Never heard that. I love that song. It's though. pretty good. Yeah, you should mm. check out that version. Definitely. Uh, Next, we have Engineer Mike. He said, probably That's What I Get by Nine Inch Nails from Pretty Hate Machine, which on the whole felt like a breakup album. Yeah. Very true. Next, we got Zofar53, Travis, who's been on the show before. Uh, He said, In Your Atmosphere by John Mayer. It hits home for me because I was in a long distance relationship with a girl who lives in Boston a few years ago. And while I love the city, it'd feel different to visit the city again now. I get what he's saying because I, I wasn't familiar with that song, but the lyrics are something like, I don't think I'm going to go to L.A. anymore. And it's referencing like because it's not the same because I'm not with this girl who lives there. Cool. Pretty cool song. Um, I got a few more. <laughs> this oh, wow. is so good because everybody has an answer for this question. So you can just ask whoever and they're going to have an answer. But I'm getting to the end of my list here. So my coworker, Angela. She's actually a big fan of R&B, and she's the one who told me, don't worry about the difference between soul music and R&B, because they're mm-hmm. kind of the same. And she helped me uh, when we were making that list. But she said, Burn by Usher. Do you know that one? No. Okay. It's a good song. I mean, it's like a slow jam, but it's one of those sad slow jams. Yeah, my wife and her roommate were really into Usher when we were in college. So it's one of those songs, again, I probably just don't know the title, you know? Yeah. It's funny because when she told me, I was like, oh, I've never heard that one. And she's like, oh, you've heard it. It was mm. on in one of his more like super famous albums, but I'm not sure if I had heard the song, but it was good. 
Uh, next one, I'm hoping you're familiar with this song. My coworker, Nicole, said Irreplaceable by Beyonce. No. No, really? No, no you know the song. I it's don't listen to, to modern the left, radio. To the left. You know that song. It's actually really funny. The first couple verses are about come and get your stuff, but make sure you don't take any of my stuff when you're going through the closet. <laughs> that code is mine. Don't take it. Your shit is in a box to the left. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's obvious what belongs to me in my house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And lastly... I asked Mrs. Gray Ghost this question. She's so great. She said, I don't want to think about this. I don't think about breakup <laughs> songs. I said, I love you so much. But she said, uh, So What by Pink, which is an absolute banger. I'm not going to ask if you've heard this song, but I think you would love it. The lyrics are great. The chorus is, So What? I am a rock star. <laughs> so, yeah, I do know that one. Okay, yeah. good, good. Yeah. Yeah, that song rocks. You know, my wife listens to modern radio and then I've got a, you know, daughter who's 13 now. So I do catch glimpses when I'm doing carpool. I reluctantly put the um, radio on the more modern stuff so the girls can listen to it in the back, you know. But I, I do like jam some 80s down their throats, too. They nice. know if they're riding with me, they'll be punished by some music that they don't care for. But I actually got a few that actually like some of the music. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. So I'm pretty sure I got all my bases covered and we're going to get into our list. But do you want to say what Mrs. Banana and did you ask anybody else? I did. My wife was like, I can't really think of something. It's like, well, don't Google it. Just come up with something off of the top of your head, you know, because if you Google right. it, you know, you're just going to be inundated with so many options. And she's like, well, I've got like three. I'm like, no, you only get one. So I, I made her like narrow it down. The funny thing about her is she's like, I want to pick something that's cool. You know, <laughs> she's like, I don't want it to be lame. I was like, you know yeah. what? Whatever you like is what you like. Just pick what you like. And she said, well, I know you've talked about it on the show before, but Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You yeah. is a um, great breakup song. And that actually made my honorable mentions list. But the one that she wanted to pick was Alanis Morissette's You Ought to Know. Oh, legendary. Yeah, she loves that album. I'm not an Atlantis fan, and she knows it, and she was afraid to say it. I'm just like, no, <laughs> it's it's your pick. You pick what you want. Yeah, she definitely loves that album. And, you know, honestly, I was thrifting a few years ago, and I came across it for 99 cents on CD, and I picked it up for her. When you're in a marriage, it's all about compromise, man, you know? Absolutely. Other than my wife, I also asked my daughter what her favorite breakup song was. And she said, Olivia Rodrigo, not Rodriguez. She made sure to correct me on that bit <laughs> when I told her I messed that up. Yeah. But the song Driver's License is okay. her favorite song. I've heard it a few times. It's not my jam, but definitely a breakup song. Before we get into our picks, I just wanted to talk for a minute about the types of breakup songs that are out there. Because I was listening to my liked list on Spotify, and like 90% of my songs are breakup songs. It's so oh, no. weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that made it tough for me as far as like narrowing down six that I really, really loved. But um, I've been listening to a lot of soul music, a lot of R&B lately. And so in those eras, there was a lot of those types of songs. But oh, yeah. 
I came up with this list, and you know, feel free to add to this list, Sean. But the types of breakup songs, in my opinion, are one, I'm heartbroken. Mm. Two, I miss you. Three, I want you back. Four, my friends think I'm doing all right, but I'm not. Five, I saw you with someone else. Mm -hmm. Six, I'm doing all right. Seven, I'm better off without you. And eight, I hope you fucking die. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So those are my uh, categories for breakup songs. It's so funny, man. I mean, you could just take one of these categories and come up with a top six list, but we're having to compact it down to overall what our favorite breakup songs are. Did you have a tough time with this list or was it pretty easy for you to put together? No, I had a very tough time finally, which is good. It's a good thing because in the past couple lists that we've done, not that I didn't have any enthusiasm. It was more like, I know exactly what I want to start with. And as I tried to dig deeper, couldn't find anything that excited me. Mm-hmm. But with this topic, it was like, oh, man, I could have done a top 50. <laughs> and also, if we did another top six in three months, I would have a totally different list, of course. So yeah. This was very interesting. A lot of fun. Listened to tons of music. And this list, I knew what my number one choice was going to be and worked my way back. Uh, so yeah. I don't know if you had the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I did the same thing. Uh, I really had a tough time choosing between number one and number two. Okay. And I'm wondering, actually, we used to have no overlap allowed, but then we changed it to where it's cooler if we do have overlap. So I'm, I'm curious with all the thousands of breakup songs that are out there, if there's going to be overlap with us. Yeah, it should be interesting. Who wants to go first? Uh, I don't mind going first because the, my number six is one that I might be stealing from you. So. Okay. <laughs> I also want to say... One of my criteria for this list was good lyrics, and I don't Mm, talk about lyrics enough, but I think that breakup songs can be done in a really like cliche and boring way. And the thing that kept popping into my head was that song Breaking Up Is Hard To Do Mm -hmm. by Neil Sedaka, you know, Breaking Up Is Hard To Do. They say breaking up is hard to do. Now I know, I know it's true. Don't say this is the end. It's like these lyrics suck and are boring. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So I tried to find songs that take me to a place emotionally. And uh, that kind of helped me narrow down my list. And even with my honorable mentions, I noted some of my favorite lines. So if you'll bear with me for all my picks, I have maybe a verse or a verse and a chorus, and I want to recite some of the lyrics. Hopefully it's not too horrible. No, yeah, I'm doing the same thing as well. Okay, and, cool, cool. You know, I guess that's the thing about the breakup song, though, isn't it? Is that in a breakup song, a lot of times you listen to these songs when you are at the end of a relationship, and you tend to focus on the lyrics a little bit more oh, because yeah. you find something that relates to your particular situation. Absolutely. So... My number six is the great His Majesty Slick Rick the Ruler (laughs) uh, from the 1988 album, The Great Adventures of Slick Rick. Yes. It's a teenage love. Ah, yeah. What I love about this song as a breakup song is that it's not a story about Slick Rick breaking up with someone. It's him giving advice to young lovers and how their relationships are going to be fleeting. So... Here's some lyrics from the second verse. Precious times, hoping they won't end. Tell your mother about your lover and also your best friend. You're mighty proud while you're holding their hand. Boys, yeah, that's my woman. And girls, yeah, that's my man. This person brings a certain warmth into your heart. 
and everything seems so great at the start for she loves him and he also loves her. It's hard to turn back to who the person you were. But later on, problems start to occur and the bond which combines y'all turns into a blur. So it's about like how teenage love relationships tend to kind of fall apart. And it goes into great detail and very true detail. So this is a song that has just a lot of truth in it. And uh, I love it. Great song. And the production on this is so perfectly 80s. The synths, the, the bass, the samples. Love this song. Love this whole album. It's amazing. You know when he wrote that song? No. Once upon a time, not long ago, when oh. people wore pajamas and lived life slow. <laughs> You're going to give me a, a trivia tidbit or something. <laughs> All right. Number six for me. Our good friend Crabmaster is going to love this pick. This pick is off the album Love at First Sting, and it's not a big radio hit. But it is my favorite song by this band, and that's Scorpions, I'm Leaving You from 1984. Okay. Scorpions is probably best known for their song Winds of Change, but they have some really awesome stuff. They're on my bucket list as the top metal band that I want to see before they hang it up. And I think they're still touring. have no idea what COVID is doing to that. But uh, Scorpions, if people don't know, they're a German band, which I didn't know until a few years ago, which is really, really cool. But um, I'm Leaving You, fantastic song and uh, one I would highly recommend checking out. You don't have to be into metal. Uh, you could be into a lighter version of like hair metal. The song has a great guitar riff and uh, just really cool, man. Perfect. I'm not sure I'm familiar with the song, but I know the group, so I will check it out. All right. Uh, number five for me. Uh, this is going to come as a shocker, but I wanted to have a pop song. Our listeners and you know I love pop music, but I like female pop artists. So I was looking around. I was listening, you know, Britney and uh, the aforementioned Carly Rae Jepsen. And uh, just nothing was like sticking to me that I thought I'm going to put it on this list. So you're going to laugh, but my number five choice Trust me, it's an absolute banger, <laughs> and it's Bye 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 by NSYNC <laughs> uh, from their album No Strings Attached from the year 2000. Um, <laughs> little Conan <laughs> reference there. Nice. <laughs> so everybody knows this song. I don't have to go too deep into it, but it holds up. I listened to it a bunch of times in my preparation for this list, and it really is a banger. It makes you want to dance, and uh, the lyrics are good because they have this like determination to them like i am gonna break up with this bitch and kick her out you know what i mean like <laughs> Alrighty then. so uh the chorus is don't want to be a fool for you just another player in your game for two you may hate me but it ain't no lie baby bye 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 i love it great song very nice man all right so for my number five pick i've mentioned on the show several times that during the pandemic, I've really been getting into Ike and Tina Turner. After a recommendation from one of my good friends, I actually found two double live albums out at one of my thrift stores that I frequent quite a bit. 
and uh, really excited to have those into the collection. And anytime I find an Ike or Tina Turner album, I just pick it up. I mean, no matter if I know any of the songs on it or not, it's always really, really great. But they did this album called Working Together, which is my favorite album of theirs. It's from 1970. And Ike and Tina do this song called Game of Love. It's just a really kind of funky, cool R&B song. And uh, some of the lyrics says, you got that certain something that really turns me on. You can make me do right, or you can make me do wrong. If you really mean I'm the best thing you've ever found, you can prove it by being true and never playing around. But just like you can cheat on me, I can cheat on you. There's no rule says the game of love can't be played by two. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's a really cool breakup song as far as, you know, you might be a man and you might think you can get away with this shit, but that's what I love about Tina. Tina is such a strong personality. And, and we've talked about this before, how like a lot of the 50s and 60s music was like, I can't do without my baby. I miss my baby. I want to be with my baby. Yeah. And she's like that you know if you're gonna do this to me i'm gonna do it right back to you you know so uh it's uh it's a really cool song and a fantastic album from 1970 excellent this list is going great so far oh yeah so where are we top four four all right my number four my co-workers no i love this song because i used to blast it (laughs) (laughs) i have mentioned that i work in a warehouse and Uh, It was actually Emily who gave me this speaker that she had. And she said, oh, this was just in the trunk of my car. I used to take it to the gym with me. And somehow this crappy little USB speaker used to like fill the entire warehouse. It was like having a public address system. It was, I don't know, it's like this miracle (laughs) thing. So I used to blast among many other songs. This song in particular became kind of my trademark. The artist is Big Sean, and the song is I Don't Fuck With You from his album Dark Sky Paradise in 2015. And this song is really an odyssey because the beat changes about two-thirds of the way through the song, and the tone of the song completely changes. There's a feature from E-40, which is really great. A lot of great puns and turns of phrase, which are great. And one of the things I love about rap music I typed out the whole first verse here. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's not too bad. But I heard you got a new man. I see you're taking a pic. Then you post it up thinking that it's making me sick. And then he does a phone noise. He's go. <laughs> he says, I see you're calling. I'll be making this quick. I'm going to answer that. Shit. Like, I don't fuck with you, bitch. I got no feelings to go. I swear I've had it up to here. I got no ceilings to go. I mean, for real. Fuck how you feel your two cents if it ain't going towards the bills and every day i wake up celebrating why because i just dodged a bullet from a crazy bitch i stuck to my guns that's what made me rich that's what put me on that's what got me here that's what made me this (laughs) that's just one little snippet of it it's so good and people in general i think i've heard big sean get like shit on a lot like he's not that good of a rapper or whatever But this song is just a legendary banger, and I will always stand by it. I love this song. Very nice. Gonna have to do a lot of work on that track. (laughs) 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 All right, my number four is from a band that I wouldn't say I was really into in high school, but I really liked their hits. But then later in life, I just kind of fell away from the band because... I didn't really care for their greatest hits anymore, and, you know, I really wasn't listening to them. And then about a year ago, I started picking up a lot of their albums. And we've talked before, like, kind of the cool thing about vinyl is that 
you start listening to more albums all the way through instead of just picking certain songs. And that has a lot to do with putting it on the turntable and wanting to listen to it all the way through, flipping it over and then listening to the other side. But it also has to do with me being kind of lazy, you know, because you know I'll put it on. And I'm like, man, I can't just listen to one song. If I just listen to one song, I'm going to have to get another record down. You know, that's a lot of work. So I've been listening to a lot of albums in full lately, which I really, really enjoy and I really like. And I, I think it's kind of broadened me musically as well. But um, this song is by the band The Police. And um, I've really been getting into them a lot lately. And the, the song is off the album from 1978, Atlandos de Amor. And the title of the song is So Lonely. And I'm sure you know this one. One of the stanzas I really like, it's, But I just can't convince myself I couldn't live with no one else. And I can only play that part and sit and nurse my broken heart. Just such a good song, man. And it by far is my favorite police track ever. Again, I'm a little leery of some of their biggest hits, but uh, I've just really been getting into Police, Ghost in the Machine, such a fantastic album, and of course, Synchronicity. So uh, yeah, man, that is my number four pick. Excellent. Uh, I'm not a fan of the police. I would say, fuck the police. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Ice-T. All right, let's get into my number three which is a song you will likely hear playing in the grocery store. (laughs) It's funny, Rich, just a quick side tangent. I tweeted this out about, I don't know, two or three months ago because I was in HEB, which is our local Texas grocery chain. And uh, I realized that the music that plays in grocery stores is the same music that was playing in grocery stores when I was a cashier in the (laughs) 90s. And it's like, how can this be? Like, new music has been created since then. But then I started thinking, well, some of these songs are very good. Like, the first time I heard David Bowie's Golden Years, which is, you know, that's off Station to Station, which is one of his slightly more obscure albums. Uh, And they play that in grocery stores all the time, (laughs) which is kind of odd. So anyway... This is one of those songs. It's The King of Wishful Thinking by Go West (laughs) off their album Indian Summer from 1992. It's also pretty famously on the Pretty Woman soundtrack. Mm -hmm. And I would highly recommend if you've ever seen the Professor of Rock YouTube channel. He did an interview with the vocalist of this group. And he also did some very interesting trivia about how this song was used in the movie where they actually kind of screwed up the song and it was like offbeat when they edited it into the movie. So that was very interesting. But this song has incredible 80s production, a lot like the Slick Rick song. But where the Slick Rick song is just like drum machine, synth, and bass, this song has everything it's it has orchestra hits it has strings it it just has everything and this funky like calypso pan flute in the beginning (laughs) so anyway the lyrics i like the whole song is really good lyrics but it's i don't need to fall at your feet just because you cut me to the bone and i won't miss the way that you kiss me we were never carved in stone if I don't listen to the talk of the town, then maybe I can fool myself. I'll get over you. I know I will. I'll pretend my ship's not sinking and I'll tell myself I'm over you because I'm the king of wishful thinking. It's uh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that 
I'm over you. Oh, wait, I'm still thinking about you. I can't stop thinking about you. Nope, nope, I'm over you. I'm over you. Yep, yep, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Very indecisive song, but yeah, I know it well, man. Great pick. Yeah, banger. Yeah. Well, my number three is from a band that you and I both know, and I've spoken about them on the show a few times. I've seen them live, a band called Maps and Atlases. One of my oh, yeah. favorite albums of all time and one that I can listen to all the way through is called Beware and Be Grateful from 2012. Mm-hmm. The first song on that album is called Old and Gray, and it just really sets the mood for the entire album. But they use this metaphor of the walls of a house and how he's repainted the walls because they remind him of her where they would like scribble on the walls and do stuff like that you know when they were together and the lyrics go like this i've got a drawer full of your notes and word games that we played on planes and a five pages at least of you practicing signing your first with my last name somewhere there's an orange on the table somewhere there's a robe on the floor and our writing on the wall is under three coats of paint in an apartment we don't live in anymore. It's just beautiful. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you, you just can't beat lyrics like that, man. If you've never listened to this song or listened to this album, I highly, highly suggest it. It is one of the best albums that I've ever listened to. Really sad, but really awesome song. And it's an incredible breakup song and probably my favorite Great modern choice, great choice. Yeah, thank you. All right. Number two for me is a band that I've talked about a lot to the point where I've talked about them very recently and I thought, should I keep banging the drum for this band (laughs) or should I pick something else? But no, this song is one of my favorites of theirs and it's uh, one of the best breakup songs I've ever heard. So I'm going to go with from 1997 from the album Dig Me Out, Slater Kinney. The song is called One More Hour. And what's noteworthy about this song is that it is about the relationship between the bandmates, Corin Tucker and Carrie Brownstein. They were briefly involved with each other, and they wrote a breakup song to each other. So having that context when you're listening to the song, because as I explained in our 1997 list, they have a great way of doing intertwining vocal melodies that are just amazing. And I think this song is like the quintessential example of that because they're literally like hashing out the end of their relationship to each other in this song. So Corin sings the lead in the verse. She says, in one more hour, I will be gone. In one more hour, I'll leave this room. The dress you wore, the pretty shoes are things I left behind for you. And then Carrie comes in and doubles her and they say, oh, you've got the darkest eyes. Oh, you've got the darkest eyes. And then they break apart where Corin is wailing emotionally. I needed it. I needed it. And Carrie is singing. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> it's so good, man. <laughs> so... um, I've mentioned Slater Kinney many, many times, but really they've been one of my favorite bands since I was like 14, 15 years old, and I really love their entire body of work. But again, referencing one of my top albums from 1997, One More Hour is one of the best breakup songs of all time. Do people not ever learn that you don't date your bandmates? I mean, did Fleetwood (laughs) Mac not teach us anything? It's funny, I the Fleetwood Mac reference was one example that I thought, because I was thinking, oh, I wonder how many times this has happened, like where band members were involved with each other. I also thought of like No Doubts Don't Speak, right? 
which was Gwen Stefani with the uh, bass player of the band at the time. But no doubt Don't Speak is just Gwen Stefani singing a ballad. With Fleetwood Mac or with Slater Kinney, it's they're actually singing to each other, like in my mind at least. <laughs> yeah. Like that's how I feel the song is meant to be. So yeah, yeah pretty amazing. Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. My number two, once again, I really had a tough time deciding between number one and number two. So one of the things I do is when I get with friends and, you know, we're having a good time drinking, we do this thing where we sit outside and we take turns picking a song and it just kind of goes around in a circle. As we do that, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll like it and put it on my Spotify list. So when I play my playlist, I'm hearing all these songs that I favorited, but also a lot of my friends have favorited. So it's sort of like this continuous playlist that I have for all my friends and, you know, some of my family members. We were at the beach this year and my wife threw on a song and everybody was like, oh man, that's such a great song. I'd hate to follow that. And I was like, well, here goes. And so I threw on Tracks of My Tears by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles and everyone was singing it. Such a great song. Take a good look at my face. You know, my smile seems out of place. Come a little bit closer and you can see the tracks of my tears. I I can't describe (laughs) Smokey Robinson's voice in the song. I mean, people just don't sing like that anymore and just can't hit those notes. Yeah, man, fantastic song. It's off his album, Going to a Go-Go from 1965. And yes, I do own that one on final. Nice. When we were doing our soul from the 60s list, I listened to the song a bunch. I also listened to the Gladys Knight and the Pips cover of this song. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. It's not as good as the original, but it's a decent cover. So yeah, great choice. And uh, now we're getting to the number one. Number one. (laughs) So as I said at the top of the list here, Oh, we're doing breakup songs? I know what my number one is, because it's really one of the best songs ever written, I would say. It's one of those songs, kind of how I was describing Fell on Black Days in our previous episode from Soundgarden, that this song just makes me react physically and emotionally, and like I gotta be careful where I listen to it, because I might like well up and start crying. A lot like Meatloaf, it was an artist that my mother loved when I was a kid, and I was like, I can't stand this guy, and it was more because my mom liked him, so I didn't like him. (laughs) So cutting to the chase, the song is Late for the Sky by Jackson Brown from his 1974 album Late for the Sky. And before I get into the lyrics, I do want to note that this song was used in the film Taxi Driver. Ah. And this may be controversial, but I actually absolutely hate the placement of this song in that movie because it's the most contextually inappropriate songs for what that movie is about, what the themes are about. Yeah. Like this song is a heart-wrenching self-examination of like a failing marriage. And they play this song over Travis Bickle, just kind of watching TV and doing his weird like gesticulations in his room. Mm. And it's like, it makes no sense. Are you talking to Uh, me? Yeah. Not that exact scene, but yeah, something like that. But this song, the vocal performance is just out of this world. If I could sing like Jackson Brown, I would be really, really well off. Like what a great vocalist. 
and such a great songwriter. He's written more songs that you love than you realize. A lot of the Eagles' better songs were written by Jackson Brown, just FYI. Yeah, so I only picked out a little bit of lyrics from the first verse, which is, All the words had all been spoken, and somehow the feeling still wasn't right, and still we continued on through the night, tracing our steps from the beginning until they vanished into the air, trying to understand how our lives had led us there. Looking hard into your eyes, there was nobody I'd ever known. Such an empty surprise to feel so alone. Oof. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it just goes from there. That's actually up to the pre-chorus. And then it goes into the second verse. So the song kind of builds up to that feel so alone part. Then it comes back down to the second verse. Then it builds up into that pre-chorus again. And then it goes into the core. It's like the composition of the song, top notch. Just, oh my goodness, such a good song. So yeah, this is like, oh, that's my number one. No question. What's the rest of my list? I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Very cool, man. I don't think I've actually ever heard this song. So I got it written down and I definitely have to check it out. Yeah, this whole album actually is really great. I think it's just as good as Running on Empty. So... I would highly recommend checking it out. Awesome. Well, I can tell you this. I can't listen to somebody's baby without thinking about Fast Times at Ridgemont High (laughs) and that dugout scene. So that's kind of disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Great song, though. Yeah. But yeah, it pops in my head every time when I listen to it. All right, man. My number one, uh, I think you mentioned before, you know, we could do this list in a few weeks and we probably wouldn't have the same picks. If I would have made this list a few years ago, this song would have never popped up on my radar. Again, I'm listening to a lot of R&B now, and I've always loved Lionel Richie, but I'd never really listened to the Commodores. I'd always thought the Commodores were more like older bands, like the Four Tops, kind of that doo-wop sound, but they're not. They're R&B from the 70s, really funky on a few of their tracks, and you know, I've just had a really good time becoming more familiar with their catalogs lately. And one of the songs that I always put on when we're doing our little round robin campfire thing is the song Sail On. It's off the album Midnight Magic from 1979. But just some of the lyrics here, sail on down the line. Ain't it funny how the time can go? Friends say they told me so, but it doesn't matter. It was plain to see that a small town boy like me just wasn't your cup of tea. I was wishful thinking. I gave you my heart and I tried to make you happy and you gave me nothing in return. You know, it ain't so hard to say, would you please just go away? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So again, this is actually on my list of I'm better off without you songs. But when you listen to it, you're like, well, you're kind of still dwelling on it a lot, right? (laughs) So I think, you know, there's something still there. But toward the end of the song, there's just like this amazing crescendo where you've got like these conga drums. It's just like the most beautiful harmony. Oh my God, man. It just floors you. The sound is just so beautiful. One of the things I really miss is harmony and multiple singers. And this song, it's just like a wave that knocks you back like Marty McFly when he plays that guitar in Back to the Future, you know, when you hear it. So, uh, yeah, man, that is my number one pick. And um, it was hard to pick between that and Tracks of My Tears. But if I had to pick between the two, I would go with Sell On. Awesome. Great lists. (laughs) Yeah. Can't wait to listen to some of these, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, I have a few honorable mentions. 
I'll just do mine because they're right in front of me. And actually, I'm going to be honest. Some of these songs didn't make my list. Well, because there was no room in a sense. But also, it was easier to leave these off of my list because sometimes there's songs that you don't know if it's a breakup song, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. it could be just like, well, I don't really like you. Or, I'm not in love with you. That's not necessarily a breakup song. So sometimes it's a little bit hard to True. tell if the lyrics are a little less specific. An example of that is Sleep to Dream by Fiona Apple from her debut album title, 1996. But I just love the line, you say love is a hell you cannot bear. And I say, give me mine back and then go there for all I care. I think that's one of the best lines I've ever heard. Another example is Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's Maps which was about a failing relationship that ended up breaking up. But the song is very minimalistic in the lyrics, but it has the one line that everybody knows and loves. Very simple and very cutting to the core. Wait, they don't love you like I love you. (laughs) So good, so simple, so perfect. Love that song, love those lyrics. Paramore, that's what you get from their 2007 album, Riot. I just love the line, that's what you get when you let your heart win. I drowned out all my sense with the sound of its beating. That's what you get when you let your heart win. I love that line, that imagery. And last but not least, for my honorable mentions, our good friends from Mannequin Pussy with the song Drunk 2 from Patience yeah. uh, with the legendary line, I still love you, you stupid fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've been spinning that album a lot lately. Yeah. All right, a few honorable mentions for me. One of these in particular I think you're going to like, even though I think it's a little bit on the fringe of being a breakup song. The first one is Everybody Plays the Fool by The Main Ingredient. I think it's awesome. Oh, beautiful. Man, it was on my top six list. I just felt like I needed to mix it up and just not go full R&B, so I threw Scorpions on there instead. I did have Ain't No Sunshine by Bill Withers, which was mentioned before. Tired of Being Alone and I'm Still in Love with You by Al Green. It Ain't Over Till It's Over by Lenny Kravitz. I love that song, man. And I've never been a big Lenny Kravitz fan, but it came on my Alexa several months ago. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, this is like taking it back to the 70s R&B days. You know, and I've been listening to a lot of R&B. I was like, oh, man, this song is so cool. So if you haven't listened to that song in a while, and even if you don't like Lenny Kravitz, put that song on and give it another shot. Suede Head by Morrissey. A song called Little Talks by an Icelandic group called of Monsters and Men. There's a female and a male singer in this band, and they sing together in every song. Great harmony. It's a narrative song, and they kind of go back and forth with the different lines. One is the female speaking, and one is the male speaking about the breakup, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful song. Boys Don't Cry by The Cure. (laughs) Just an awesome (laughs) song about, you're a dude, you're not supposed to cry, but if you're Robert Smith, you're going to, because it's sad. (laughs) My wife mentioned Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor, which is on my list originally by Prince, but 
we've talked before, and Sinead's version we agree is better. Yeah. Carry Me, Ohio by Sun Kill Moon is a fantastic song. Uh, it starts off with the line, sorry, I couldn't love you back. Hmm. So it's more of the person breaking up with the other person yeah. breakup song, which you don't hear from that perspective quite a lot. And then, as we mentioned before, Bon Iver's Skinny Love. But the one song that I know that you like as much as I do, but I'm not sure it's a breakup song. Let me read you some of the lyrics and see if you can tell me what song Ooh, it is. Okay. How about that? Does that I sound cool? It. Let's do it. Mouthful of beer, your eyes are glazed, your face is red. Who's going to pick you up and use you for tonight? Not me, not me. When you're on the streets with a needle in your arm, selling your body for another fix, who's going to pick you up and take you home tonight? Not me, not me. I don't really consider this a breakup song directly, but at the same time, it's sort of like, who's going to put up with you? I've been trying to keep this relationship together and you've chosen something else over me. Who's going to take care of you? You know, so in essence, it is kind of a breakup song, right? Yeah, kind of. And this is uh, Bikeage by The Descendants, by the way. Yes. This is one of those ones that could go either way. And you just reminded me a song that I listened to a lot was The Beach Boys' Wendy. But mm. I listened to way many more times was The Descendants' cover of Wendy, which is an awesome cover of that song and a great breakup song. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice. All right, man. These are incredible. Going to be some great music to choose from for our listeners. And uh, if you have any other breakup songs, hit us up on social media and let us know. Okay, so your heart broke. You sit around hoping. about time? Well, before you do anything rash, dig this. Everybody plays the fool sometimes. There's no exception to the rule. Listen, baby, it may be factual, baby, cruel. So uh, let's get into pickups. Do you want to go first? Oh, boy. I got a ton. 
<laughs> I never know if you're lying or not about that. No, I'm serious. <laughs> Actually, I'll take this opportunity to plug my newest article on the blog, which was just published on the day that we're recording here, but it'll be on RFGen by the time you hear this. I called it Liquidation 2 because I wrote an article about a year ago. It was in July 2020. I called it Liquidation, where it was just about how I was going hard selling a lot of my video game collection. It was spurred on by the prices that were going off because of the pandemic. And I saw it as an opportunity to do something that I wanted to do for a long time, which was kind of scale down my collection. And as a side bonus, I was making a lot of money. So I realized it's been a year since I wrote that article. So I wrote a follow-up to it. And a lot has changed in that 12 months. And basically, the gist of the article is that After I wrote the first article, things started slowing down, actually. I was starting to run out of holy grails that I was willing to let go of. My side hustle of going to the Goodwill outlet store was kind of cooling off. I stopped finding good resellable stuff. And I just kind of started looking at my collection and saying, well... I kind of like it the way it is now. I keep talking about these shelving units I have and how I got it from three to two and I wanted to get it from two to one. But now I'm in two, but I have room now. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I had three that were busting at the seams and I got it down to two that were busting at the seams. Now it's like two that are not full to capacity. I rearranged recently so I have room for things like Xbox One and Nintendo Switch and the newer consoles that I'm not going to be emulating or, you know, pirate games for. (laughs) So uh, having said all that, I went to Classic Game Fest 2020 because it was canceled last year. So all the merch said 2020, but it was Classic Game Fest 2021. Like the Olympics. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it was awesome. And after having not bought too many games in a long time, I brought a bunch of cash with me with the express purpose of blowing it on video games. Cool. And I picked up the Tales of Vesperia Definitive Edition for Nintendo Switch. I love the Tales of series, and Vesperia is one of my favorites. Wouldn't necessarily need a remake of it, but in my eyes, I saw it as very cheap. I didn't realize it was launched as kind of a budget title, and uh, I still feel I got a good deal on it, but I was like, oh, this was actually a $30 game and not a $60 game, but I still paid less than that, so I was happy. I got Eternal Eyes on the PlayStation 1. (laughs) Again? (laughs) How many copies do you have in this game? You know, it's funny, my copy that I owned was disc only and the manual, so I didn't have the case for it. Ah, okay. It's funny because I was on the fence when we played the game. I liked it so much. I actually had on my eBay watch list, somebody was selling the case, but it was all of $6, and I was like, I don't want to get this, you know? Mm, yeah, you probably get the whole game for that at some point or less. <laughs> well, at that point, you probably could, but that's the funny thing is I was at this con and i saw eternal eyes for 14.99 and i was like oh my god that's highway robbery this is like a five dollar game it's the playcast effect man Uh, yeah no (laughs) i'll just say 
it's not a five dollar game anymore and uh even at 15 bucks that's actually a pretty good price nowadays which is it's just crazy so yeah i got a copy of that on the shelf i got a plague tale innocence for the xbox one that's a game i talked about playing a few months ago maybe it was last year even but that's just an example of a game that i played digitally but i liked it so much that i wanted a physical copy so i got that I got Indivisible on the Xbox One. I've heard it's a good JRPG-style game in the vein of uh, Valkyrie Profile type of combat system. So heard good things, so I picked that up on the cheap. So that's everything I got at the Game Fest. But that kind (laughs) of did something to me where I was like, oh, you know, it's not so bad buying video games again. This feels kind of nice. Yeah, I just kind (laughs) of continued the the spending. So I got Super Mario Odyssey on the Switch. And one of the reasons I got this was because when I was at the con, I saw a copy of it for 30 bucks. I was like, oh my God, a first party Switch game for 30 bucks? This must be a mistake. But while I was there, I looked it up on Amazon and that's actually around the going price for it right now. Mm -hmm. So I didn't buy it at the con. I just bought it from Amazon when I got home for slightly cheaper. I got a game called Super Beat Zonic, which is a rhythm game for the Switch. And I just grabbed that off eBay because that is a very cheap game. I got Persona 5 Strikers, which is a game I've talked about on the podcast before as a game I was anticipating because I love the Persona franchise and I also love Musou games and mostly the spinoff ones like Attack on Titan and whatnot. So I got that. I got a game called, I wrote Alterno Blade, but I think it's actually Airterno Blade 2 on the Switch, which is like a action platformer i don't know too much about it i just saw (laughs) that it was extremely cheap and looked kind of japanesey but not really so i just grabbed it and then (laughs) again this is funny because you go to the con and you're kind of looking for certain things and then when you get home and you don't find them you're like i really need that i need to go find it you know what i mean it's so stupid but at the con there was a couple not as many as there have been in past times I went to this, but they had a at least one table of they were selling all imports, so all Japanese games. So I was like, oh, I really like to get my hands on one of the Earth Defense Force games for the PSP, which were only released in Japan. So I looked and they didn't have them. So luckily when I got home, they're not expensive. I was able to get one from Japan for about 12 bucks. So I got Earth Defense Force 2, Japanese version for the PSP. And then lastly, another Earth Defense Force game, Earth Defense Force World Brothers, which does not have a physical North American edition yet, but I saw on the Switch that it was on sale. So I picked it up and I'll tell you more about it when we get to what are you playing? Let me ask you this. Is there an EDF game that is Lego Minecraft sort of look? That's the one. That's oh, the, okay. That's World Brothers, yeah. Okay, yeah. interested to hear your take on that. So, cool. Yep. So, yeah, that's all my scores. I'm being careful because I was like, oh, I'm having fun. I'm buying games. I'm getting packages in the mail. This is great. It's just like the <laughs> good addictive. old days. But it's like <laughs> I don't want to go down that rabbit hole again. So I kind of 
trained myself to where I have things on my Amazon cart, things on my eBay watch list. And I'm just like, okay, when a paycheck comes in, whether it's mine or my wife's, I'll buy one game or something Mm, like that. You know what I mean? Like try to set up some kind of guardrails or guidelines that you don't just go crazy because you're not going to play them (laughs) right away anyway. (laughs) So just take your time unless you think it's something that's going to be limited or whatever. Yeah, it's hard to take your time these days because when you take your time, everything goes up (laughs) tremendously. So, uh, yeah, your video game collecting is like someone who eats too much. Absolutely. You will have these big moments of buying a lot of stuff and you're like, oh, damn, why did I eat all that? You know, (laughs) and then the guilt sits in and you're like, well, I get to sell these down the road, purge when you need to. And (laughs) hell, it's worked out for you well. You know, I mean, you've been able to slim down your collection and get what you want. So it's been a great strategy. I remember you used to pick up all the limited run games and I'm sure you did really well with those resales. Yeah. And I actually, oh, I came so close to pre-ordering a game off limited run, but I talked myself out of it uh, (laughs) about a week ago. So yeah, I'm I'm getting better in that respect. And that was kind of the thrust or the final thought of my article was, I feel like I'm I'm at a good balance now. That's you good. know, like yeah. I might do some price charting research on the games I have and if I find something that I don't care about, like for example, my copy of Phantom Dust for the original Xbox, <laughs> um, then I might still sell stuff, but I'm not in this like frenzy like everything must go. It's I'm yeah. at, I feel like I'm in a really good balance. Awesome, man. Well, speaking of imbalance, let's talk about my pickups. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, you know, I've been picking up some really cool stuff locally, and uh, I think I mentioned on Twitter last week that um, I had taken my daughter out to uh, South Carolina for one of her soccer tournaments. She plays travel soccer, and we are all over the map like every weekend. And so we have this gentleman's, gentlewoman's agreement that, yes, I'm giving up my entire weekend for you, so if I want to stop at a game store, you can't bitch about it. So that's how we roll. And Mm -hmm. she has accepted this now after much complaining over the past few years. But it's all good now, and uh, it's a good time. Anyway, so a lot of the pickups that I got are locally and from some of those trips. But um, one of my uh, game stores just a few miles away had a copy of Dodon Pachi Resurrection Deluxe Edition for the 360. This is a Japanese game, but it's for the Xbox 360. So I can play it here in the U.S. on my system, which is very, very nice. On my trip with my daughter, I picked up copies of Batman Return of the Joker, Contra, The Alien Wars, and Nobunaga's Ambition for the Game Boy. I've been really getting into collecting for my Game Boy, and these are titles that you don't see that much. Contra was definitely on my wish list. Return of the Joker is supposed to be a great Batman game on the Game Boy, and Nobunaga's Ambition... I played that on the NES so many times, and I didn't even know that there was a copy available for the Game Boy. And for 10 bucks, I was like, yeah, I'm going to pick this up and give it a shot. Another game that I picked up that fairly recently got a physical release, because I remember watching a video on this, is This War of Mine. I picked that up on Switch, and it looked like such an interesting game. It reminds me a lot of... Limbo, and that it's kind of dark and shadowy, and that you're trying to move from place to place. It's set in a war torn country, so you know, you're, you're trying to move about without getting killed. Yeah, it just looked like a great and fun game to play. So, uh, when I saw that, 
and not knowing that it actually had a physical now, I picked it up immediately. A few games that I picked up off a Gamefly sale, which, uh, you know, Sean and I talk about all the time. Gamefly is a fantastic place to buy games. Now, I've never rented them before, but anybody can buy games from them, and they put on some fantastic sales. And unlike GameStop, when you get stuff from Gamefly, they keep all the inserts, all the packaging, any sleeves, anything like that, and you get a complete copy. It's not a new copy, but it is a complete copy, and I've never had a disc that even had a scratch on it, honestly. So I picked up R-Type Final 2, which of course is a shmup for the PS4, and I picked up Cyberpunk for the PS4. This game's, you know, been controversial for years, but I felt like at $9.99, it was the right time to pick that one up. And then on my recent trip out of town with my daughter, I picked up a copy of Cat Quest 1 and 2, the Possum Pack for PS4. This is Yeah, this is a game (laughs) Sean has mentioned, and... You know, with my kids, I've been looking to buy more couch co-op games because we have a lot of kids in our neighborhood that will come over and play, and it's so wonderful. It just reminds me of wonderful times that I had as a kid, and so I love that, and Sean and I were, I think, talking on the last recording about my son playing It Takes Two with some friends, but Cat Quest 2, I know, I'm not sure if the first one is multiplayer, but the second one does have a multiplayer, and... I was looking up videos on YouTube, and I came across this one, and it looked like a lot of fun. And uh, from what I understand, it's a Zelda-like, correct, Sean? Yeah, it's pretty action-y. It probably has more RPG elements than a Zelda game, but it's definitely an RPG for anybody. Very low like difficulty curve or barrier to entry or concepts that you need to understand. It's very user-friendly for like people who are new to RPGs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think my boys will definitely like that. My five-year-old, you know, as I've mentioned before, he's an incredible gamer. Dude starts kindergarten tomorrow. I feel so sorry for his teachers. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I've, I've just been picking up games like that for them so that they can play them with their friends. And then, you know, I've even been jumping in and playing with them, too. So it's just a great experience all around for our family. On my trip to South Carolina with my daughter, I also picked up some Fairly expensive games, Biker Mice from Mars for the Super Nintendo and Joe and Mac for the Genesis. Joe and Mac was on my list of games that I was looking for. I like the Joe and Mac series and I'm always curious to see how the Genesis version differs from the Super Nintendo version. So I picked that up. Biker Mice from Mars, I'm not quite as familiar with. I remember the cartoon and I know it's a fairly popular title. I picked up both these games, man, for half price of what they're going for on eBay. So I was kind of like, yeah, if I don't like it for these two systems, I don't collect everything for them anyway. So, you know, I'll throw it on eBay or trade it in locally or sell it if I need to. The other night, I picked up copies of Power Stone 1 and Power Stone 2. I'm not much into fighters, but the game store owner, I'm actually doing a another convention for him in October, and so he sold these to me for a really good price. I couldn't pass up on it. And with the Power Stone series, what I really like about it is that 3D aspect and the fact that you're able to pick up items from around the board and fight with them, much like you can do with uh, games like Dynamite Cop, and I always think that kind of stuff is a lot of fun. And then lastly, in the mail, I found a green Play It Loud Game Boy on Facebook Marketplace and was able to get it for a great price. 
So the last two play it louds that I'm looking for are the black and yellow ones, and I can complete that set of handheld consoles. So uh, yeah, man, that's it. Uh, I was gonna say something. Damn, Biker Mushroom Mars, <laughs> Genesis, <laughs> no, no. Power Stone, Cat Quest. Probably about power. Cat Quest stuff. got your tongue. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, so let's go into games played. And, dude, we must have stepped into some sort of bizarro dimension because I've got, like, four games played this month, and you've got all these pickups. What's going on? Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of fun. I like to hear that you've got more games played, though. So, uh, you know what? I still have more than you, so would you like to go first? (laughs) (laughs) Braggart. (laughs) All right, so um, a few games that I didn't mention picking up, but I actually did pick up and play this month were Seamus for the Game Boy Color. I picked this game up for like two bucks and it looked kind of interesting because it had like a guy in a robot suit firing on these robots. And I was like, hmm, this reminds me a lot of Berserk. And so I said, yeah, I'll just go ahead and pick it up, see what it's like for two bucks. Got it home, popped it in. It sucks, man. It is a terrible game. (laughs) Uh, It's like Berserk, but you're on conveyor belts, but you have to push in a certain direction when you fire. The graphics are awful. They're akin to maybe Atari 7800 graphics at best. Uh, It's just not a great game for a Game Boy Color, especially with the technology that they had going on at the time. It's got some elements of um, the game Haunted House for the Atari 2600, where you pick up keys and items and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, not a great game. Would not recommend it at all. And uh, I've already traded it in since I bought it. So (laughs) I got more money for the trade-in than what I paid for. So I'm happy with that. I picked up a copy of Star X for the Game Boy Advance. If you are a fan of Star Fox games, this is a Star Fox clone. It even has the word star in the title. I'm not a big fan of the Star Fox games in the first place, but this one was just okay. Uh, It didn't feel really good on the Game Boy Advance, but I think that maybe playing it through the GameCube with the adapter that you sold me would make it a better experience, you know, having that on the big screen. But like I said, if you're into Star Fox, this might be a game that you like and that you might want to pick up. I think I got it for like 15 bucks, so it's not a very expensive game. And then the third game I played, this was a downloadable game. I can't remember the YouTuber, and I wish I had his name so that I could mention it. Again, I was looking for couch co-op games for my kids to play, and there is a game called Swords of Ditto, Mormo's Curse. I downloaded this for the PS4. Now, there is a physical edition, but I think it's going for like 150 bucks right now, which is just silly, and I would not advise paying that much for it. But this is a fun Zelda-like game. I had a blast with it, dude. I picked it up at like 3 p.m. and stayed up to like 2 a.m. to beat it. It just got its hooks in me really quickly. But this is the type of game. It's a roguelike, so you have to play through it like five times. And that was a little bit of a put-off for me. It also has these RPG elements in it, too, where you can level up your weapon. And once your sword gets to a certain level, it gives you a day until you have to get all your stuff together to go fight the final boss. Or you get taken directly to him to fight. You can collect these crystals, which allow you to extend your day so you can check out more of the map if you want to. Uh, It's pretty cool just so on the fence about really loving this game and being irritated by this game. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling before, 
It's so much fun to play. It's so cool. The graphics are awesome. It's like playing A Link to the Past, and it's so much fun. It's got this very juvenile narrative and feel to it, which I really love. I mean, if you like roguelikes, I would say put this on your list. If you like playing games over and over and beating it multiple times, the good thing is it's got a board randomizer on it. So you're not always playing the same levels. And there's also levels that come from different places. So you're not fighting the same bosses, but you are like working toward that final boss fight over and over again. So I don't know, man, this is a... not going to get a super high recommendation for me, but it's better and above average. So I like it, but you know, it might not be everyone's cup of tea. I wanted to recommend it to you so bad, Sean, but I'm just like, "Mm, I don't know how he's going to feel about these roguelike mechanics and, you know, having to beat the game over and over, but it is two player couch co-op. So it might be something that you and your wife enjoy. Who knows? Interesting. Can you say the name one more time? Yeah, it's called the Swords of Ditto, Mormo's Curse. Okay. You may love it, man, but uh, I really just wish they would ditch the level up feature where you have to pay for time to get more days and finish out a map. And then the final game we've been playing, Earth Defense Force 4.1, bought it on the PS4. Amazing. Kids have been crushing it. All the neighborhood kids love this game, and they're having so much fun with it. My five-year-old and my 10-year-old are playing the hell out of it. They're digging it. I'm digging it. Played it so much the other night, I couldn't close my eyes because they were so red and cracked. (laughs) I love it. I'm beaming right now. I have no idea. Yeah, I know. I wanted to save it for the call to uh, let you know. But, um, yeah, my son loves the wing diver. My my 10-year-old son loves it. Yeah, that is his favorite class, and they are OP, which that's what he loves about it. And I know that's what my man Sean loves about it, because he loves OP stuff. I really like playing with the infantry troops, but at this point, they're very, very weak. Yeah. My son was playing it today, and he's like, Dad, we got to like level 26, but we went back and started playing the early levels on hard. And what happens when you do that is the loot crates and the weapons you get are leveled up much, much higher. And so I didn't realize that that was a thing. And so it should be very interesting to progress forward with these much better weapons because we got around level 16 or so. It's that level where that big walker is coming through the city and you have to take out those giant robots. I can't remember what they're called. Hectors. Hectors, yes. We got there and I had to play that mission five or six times because, you know, I was just way too weak to beat it. But we beat it in co-op together and, you know, got past it. But it's nice to know that uh, I may be getting some more powered up weapons, which he's been collecting for me. So it's good to have my sons farming all my gear. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) But that's it, man. Very cool. There's a little bit of an exploit I can tell you about, which I used. It doesn't net you a ton of loot. I couldn't do it in any difficulty higher than normal. But if you use a wing diver, I forget. I think it's mission 14. It's like in the valley or in the riverbed. So first you fight two UFOs that are dropping enemies. Then you have to go into the riverbed. There's two UFOs that come from either side. So what you do is you take out one UFO and all the spiders and you leave the second UFO Play as the wing diver using uh, the thrust rapier and just hold the button down. And as the spiders drop down, they just drop right into the laser. And ah. what I did was I put a rubber band around the trigger 
and just <laughs> left the room. And when I came back, there was a mountain of weapons and armor. <laughs> I don't know if that's awesome or sad. <laughs> Hey, well, when we get into our game here, uh, you know that I love exploitable spots <laughs> yes, you in do. games. And I told you about one. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll get there. But uh, yeah, I'm so happy to hear that you're enjoying this game, your whole family oh, yeah. and all your kids' friends. I told you, man. I told you there's just something magical about this franchise. Yeah, I think I got it for like 20 bucks, too. So yeah, that was, cheap uh, game. It was a good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Are you done? Because oh, yeah. I'm ready to talk more about Earth <laughs> uh, But first I'll say, as predicted, I kind of put down Valkyria Chronicles 3, which I mentioned I was playing. Mm-hmm. I could tell like the level maps, they were just reusing the same maps over and over, even though in the story you're actually progressing like across this great geographical area. Then you go into the battle and it's the same map you've been fighting on. So it's like kind of immersion breaking and also just repetitive so uh, as much as i love the games that's the third one that i didn't want to finish you know i just got my fill Mm -hmm. of it and just kind of put it down but a game that i did finish because it's about 45 minutes long (laughs) is a game called demolition girl and the way i found out about this game was because i was watching I think Matt McMuscles on YouTube, who's doing a video about the Oni Chambara franchise, which is published by D3, yeah, as is Earth Defense Force. And he mentioned that D3 was kind of famous for doing these budget titles on the PlayStation 2, which is how Earth Defense Force started. And he jokingly mentioned this game, Demolition Girl. And as soon as I saw it on the screen, I said, I'm downloading that right now and playing it (laughs) immediately (laughs) because all it showed was like this attack of the 50 foot woman kind of thing with this chick in a bikini just towering over and you're in a helicopter like flying around her. And I was (laughs) like, okay, I need to play this game like tonight. (laughs) So... So it's actually not a bad game. It's broken up into six levels and each level has its own like little gameplay quirk. Like in the first level is the one I just described where you're in a helicopter and you have to, (laughs) it's kind of raunchy, but you have to like (laughs) observe the parts of her body and quote unquote collect the data on them. Right. Uh, But all, all the while she's like running around and kind of jumping around and is kind of ditzy and it's funny. Uh, And then in later levels, you're driving other vehicles on the ground, a tank, and there's all this strategy, not like high level strategy, but each level is different is what I'm trying to say. Man, this sounds like a game that is right up your alley. Oh, yeah. It's like waifu so, kaiju. So much in my wheelhouse. <laughs> exactly. Hey, that's a great band name. Yeah, waifu kaiju. Waifu kaiju. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, But yeah, it was a lot of fun. And again, you could beat it in one sitting. And it it did have that like 60s monster movie vibe to it. So I really loved it. My wife and I, we did beat Earth Defense Force 2025, which is Earth Defense Force 4, which is the one you're playing. So we beat the original Xbox 360 version, which is the one we had been playing. And this time I was the hero. Uh, I've talked in the past about how my wife has this uncanny ability to like put away final bosses after I've got KO'd in the boss fight. <laughs> but this time it was actually me. She got killed just by the skin of my teeth. I think I had like 12 HP by the time the battle was done. 
And uh, it was really exhilarating. And I played as the wing diver, of course, for the vast majority of the game. If you or anyone in your family gets the monster, that's a weapon called the monster. It's a sniper rifle that does 400 damage, but it uses your entire power bank. So you get one shot and then you have to stay on the ground until your power recharges. But it takes out UFOs in one or two shots, depending on the difficulty you're playing. And it just it wrecks Hector's usually in one shot, like crazy wow. awesome weapon. And I want to note that for my musical project, Wing Diver, I created social media accounts for it. So if anybody's listening and Thanks. wouldn't mind throwing me a follow, it's at WNGDVR. So Wing Diver with the vowels taken out. And I ha- I made an Instagram and a Twitter. So nothing's out yet. But if you want to give me a follow and then go to wingdiver.com. It might redirect you to this podcast, but it might someday take you to my music. <laughs> uh, How did she take not being the hero this round? We were both psyched because the final okay. boss battle was something that took us a week to beat it. We we tried on one weekend and we couldn't quite put it away, but we were at the point where we knew exactly what we needed to do kind of things. It's like a multi-stage boss. So we mm-hmm. knew what was going to happen and we strategized it out and figured it out. And it's so funny, man. Like, I don't know if you're getting this when you're playing this game, but <laughs> if you could be a fly on the wall in the room, I'm like, do you have line of sight? Do you have line of sight? No, move east, move east. You know, like we're talking <laughs> like we're some military strategists with each other. You know what I mean? It's so funny and amazing. Nice, dude. So I'm playing and my wife wasn't really interested in this because I told her it's not the same as the ones we were playing, which is Earth Defense World Brothers, which is the one you were talking about, which is more of voxel graphics, Minecraft or Lego style type of graphics. Mm -hmm. It really is another kind of side game, not developed that I know of by the original developers. It's fun, it's cool, but it just doesn't have that mojo, it doesn't have that magic that the mainline games do. But one thing I do like about it is that it's really cute and funny and kind of politically incorrect in a lot of ways, and I think that's kind of daring and I kind of like it for that. Also, I like the way they break the fourth wall a lot. One example that just I thought was really funny was... Uh, I was in a level and this huge monster, like a Godzilla style monster came out and uh, you start shooting it and your character goes, I don't think we're doing any damage to it. And another character goes, oh, don't worry. I think this is one of those bosses that we just have to survive and it'll go away. And she goes, (laughs) how can you tell? And he goes, well, I can just tell by the type of music that's playing. It's one of those type of levels. (laughs) I kind of thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, this uh, this game doesn't quite have the, again, the magic that the main series has, but it's kind of fun. I've got it on the Switch, so when I feel like firing up my Switch, I'll usually do a level or two of that. And then what I'm currently playing, It Takes Two with my wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, this game is hard as hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, we actually like it a lot, although both of us were kind of put off by the plot. It's a little bit cliched, and my wife, 
similar to not wanting to think about breakup songs she said they keep talking about divorce and it's very like low vibrational and i don't i'm not really like comfortable with it so i was like Mm -hmm. yeah i I can feel that so it's it's really like cliched story and i feel like i can kind of predict the way it's going to play out but the graphics are amazing and the cooperative gameplay is really inventive we just beat the second boss last night and it was a pain in the ass and we had (laughs) a lot of troubles even getting to that point but we're kind of determined it's funny we were talking about this last night games that i've played with my wife we've only ever not finished one game that we've started together and that was mortal Kombat: shaolin monks in that game we got all the way to the final boss and just couldn't beat it so very soon we're going to replay shaolin monks and we're going to beat it so <laughs> when we play games together it's like if we want to beat a game we're going to beat it so it takes two is very hard but we're going to beat it yeah school game i watch my uh, son and his friends play it quite a bit so yeah i think they're having a lot of fun with that and i got one more so i when i put down the vita i wanted to have another hand held around and just play something on it so i'm playing fire emblem echoes shadows of valentia on the 3ds and if you know the fire emblem games this is one of those but it has kind of a cool added element where it has these dungeon levels where you play in third person which is totally as far as i know like unique for a fire emblem game because they're strategy rpgs so you go in these dungeons and you can swing your sword and break boxes and barrels and collect loot and stuff so that's pretty neat especially for someone like me i'm one of those crazy people who loves the 3d on the 3ds and the graphics are really good in this game and the 3d looks awesome so that part of the game is really neat to me and again kind of like valkyria it's one of those games it's like I know this is a 40-hour game, and every time I open my save and it says I'm one hour in or one and a half hours in or two hours, it's like, I'm going to be playing this game for the next six months, or am I going to get bored of it and play something else? You know, I don't know, but I like it so far. Can't convince my 
right, Sean, so uh, let's get into our July game. That was Skyblazer for the Super Nintendo. I'll give a few developmental details, and then we can talk about our history with this game. This is a single-player platformer developed by Yukiote Company Limited and published by Sony ImageSoft. It was released in early 1994 for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. And that's about it. That's about all I had for the development of this game. There's not a lot about it out there. And when you look up Hidden Gems videos, this is one of the games that you're going to find on those videos. Now, Sean and I, we can talk later about whether we feel like this is a hidden gem. But I can kind of tell you now that I feel like it's just a game that was a little lesser known when it came out, but not really so much of a hidden gem anymore. Yeah, this is interesting. Would you believe that I had never heard of this game until you told me you wanted to do it for the playthrough? Yeah, I can believe that, for sure. Yeah, I have no history with this game, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, I had never heard of it. I don't think so, at least. You know, games come in and out of our lives all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I would know about this one, or if I owned it, or if somebody had recommended it to me, or even if um, I probably have seen it, covered in youtube videos over the years and just kind of forgotten about it but this is completely new to me and uh we should mention i just want (laughs) to i just want to talk about one thing we used to say on this podcast and when we were organizing the playthroughs that well we want to pick games that are you know under 30 dollars or 50 dollars max so people have a chance (laughs) to pick them up and we went from that to uh just emulate it real quick didn't we (laughs) (laughs) well i mean with the prices now for just the you know more common games you can't get anything for under 30 bucks i know exactly yeah it's just like join us if you can not saying that you should emulate games but you got to do what you can these days to play these games because, you know, if I was a developer of a game and it shot through the roof like most games have, I would just want as many people to play my game as possible, you know, no matter how they played yeah. it. Especially with old games. I mean, they're not making any money off of these old games anymore. Only resellers are making money off of them. So, yeah, emulate them if you want. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I mentioned that because this game is going for about 200 bucks now, right? Is now, it so. really? No, <laughs> yeah. Holy <laughs> Sean, I did not know that. Wow. Well, we can talk about it in our final thoughts, whether it's worth 200 bucks or not. Copy of Skyblazer for sale, if anybody's interested. (laughs) Now, you don't have this physically, do you? How did you play it? I do not. I played it on the Wii using the SNES 9X emulator, which is a really good emulator. What was cool about playing it that way was that I was able to use the Wii Classic Controller Pro, which is one of the best controllers to play classic games, in my opinion. And also that while cheats are available on this emulator, I did not use them, but I did use save states. So that's the way I wanted to play this game. You know how we (laughs) feel about gatekeeping and all that shit. Uh, So... I was able to have the convenience of saving wherever I wanted to, to play it that way. But yeah, I was able to beat the game without any other cheats, and I was tempted at times. I could have really used an invulnerability kind of cheat at certain points in this game, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, I just leaned on save scumming most of the time for my issues. Well, good deal. 
Well, uh, as far as my history with the game, I don't have like a lush history. This is not a game that I played as a kid. This is one that I probably picked up four or five years ago based on, you guessed it, probably some Hidden Gems videos on YouTube. Yeah. It looked interesting. It looked like a fun platformer and a very colorful game, which we'll talk about later. And uh, got some fairly high ratings from the reviewers of these games. Around the time I picked it up, I think I paid 20 or 30 bucks for it. So, uh, you know, definitely um, an investment, <laughs> but uh, uh, nothing that, you know, I'm interested in selling at this point in my collecting career. But uh, yeah, I played it on original hardware, the Super Nintendo. I did not use any save states. I beat this game in less than two hours on my first sitting. Nice. That's awesome. So you didn't even have to use the password system. You know, it's funny. I'm sitting here right now, and I've got a little sheet of paper with all the passwords on it when I would defeat a boss, because I didn't know if I would need to use them or not. But I put them down every time I was able to get a password. And even sometimes where I'd beat like the simplest thing, I would go back to the little hut and save. Right. (laughs) But uh, so, So yeah, they're sitting here right now. But as you mentioned, yeah, this game does have a password system. It's very interesting. Oh, yeah. It's similar to like a Castlevania type of thing where you're putting symbols on a grid. I didn't use it, obviously, because I was just save stating my way through the game. But the symbols are very intricate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I was reading a FAQ. The person writing the FAQ is like, well, the squiggly thing that looks like a campfire, I'm going to represent with the letter X and all these other <laughs> things. It was like, oh, that's that's a little overcomplicated. But in the modern day, you could just take a picture of the screen with your phone. So it's sure. a little bit easier. Yeah, I mean, what I did basically was there was like a photo of a mountain. So I represented that with a triangle, which made mm. sense. There's a cross and I just used an X for that. And then there's something that's like a round coin or something, and I just did a circle for that and just used dashes for the empty spaces. So I made it quite easy to figure that's it out. not too bad. Well, not at all. You just got to simplify it for yourself, you know? Yeah. Well, before we get too far into our game discussion, let's talk about our participants for this past month. It was you and I, Dougley007, Disposed Hero, Metal Fro, and Mr. Stubbs. So... In this playthrough, we got some of our more loyal participants. I know Disposed Hero had mentioned that he had beaten this game maybe a few years ago. Yeah. So it was uh, definitely good to have Steven in the playthrough again this time. Absolutely. So the story of Sky Blazer is fairly interesting. The U.S. version acts more as a Western representation of this game, uh, which is kind of strange as far as the names In the Japanese version, you've got all these allusions to Hinduism, which gives it more of a fairy tale feel. In the North American version, Sky is the name of the hero, but Garuda is the name of the hero in the Japanese version. Garuda being a bird-like figure and was actually the mount for Vishnu in some of the Hindu tales. Vishnu, of course, was a Hindu deity, very famous lady with the multiple arms, And that was the name of the sorceress who is kidnapped, but they changed the name to Ariana for the U.S. version. And then one of the final ones was Ashura, who is the one who does the kidnapping in the story, this winged, multi-armed demon. Ashura actually keeps the same name, and this character in Hindu lore is a power-seeking demigod. And so... 
it's interesting. We'll kind of talk about the tie-ins of Hinduism in this game as we go. But before we get into that, let me go ahead and get into the story of the game. Story in 60 seconds. Ashura, the Lord of War, has kidnapped the sorceress, Ariana, and taken her prisoner. Sky, a brave young warrior and ancestor of the Sky Lord, heeds the call and rushes to the aid of Ariana. However, your skills are much too weak, and you quickly fall at the hands of the mighty Ashura. Battered and broken, you soon wake to the voice of a mysterious old man who challenges you to seek out eight mystic powers to aid you in your final battle. Will you survive the onslaught of enemies and bosses waiting among the eastern plains, or will the world fall into the hands of this ancient evil? Ah, oh, it's so nice to play a game with a simple-ass story <laughs> after doing Axiom Verge and Metal Gear Solid 2. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, it didn't take me very long to write this. I mean, it's very front-heavy with the narrative, right? Yeah, I, I look at it as kind of um, an RPG story with no side quests mm-hmm. yeah. because you have these cutscenes, let's say, that are very RPG-esque with the text, but mm-hmm. it's just very simple. Like, you will need this power to beat blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, the story is very surface level, save the girl kind of yep. thing. damsel in distress, it, save the world. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> but uh, it serves the game well, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't be expecting too much from something like this being an action platformer. It may be even a little bit more vivid than it would even need to be to be satisfying. Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, you don't expect much from an action platformer where you get these heavy stories typically is in RPGs. You get these twists and turns and things like that. However, I was kind of expecting maybe the old man to be evil. That would have been a great twist, you know? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that would have been cool. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's the story. So, Sean, you want to get into the gameplay? Yeah, so it's a 2D sprite-based action platformer. Well, there's other levels too. There's auto-scrolls and stuff, but the main bulk of the game is made up of walking and running and jumping. You also have a punch and a kick where he... (laughs) You're going to love this, Rich. Every time I did the three-button combo, Uh all I could hear was, hot, hot dog, hot, hot dog. What is he saying there? Anything? Or I don't just... know. I don't know. He might just be making grunting noises. Like, huh, huh, duh. like I don't know. I'm, I'm never going to sure. hear anything but hot dog every time I play this Good. game now. <laughs> now you can't unhear it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like somebody's baby. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It has these mechanics to the character where you have hand-to-hand combat, and then on top of that, you have these special powers that you were talking about where you have to collect these powers throughout the game, Mm -hmm. and you can select those with the shoulder buttons, and each one does something a little bit different. And you have a meter for those that you fill up with these vials of orange juice, basically, um, (laughs) or some kind of wine or elixir or whatever, but you can see those on the screen. Then you have health power-ups, which is a green elixir. So all the power-ups are very easy to identify on the screen, which is beautiful. Lastly, you have jewels as a pickup, which there's little jewels that are worth one and big jewels that are worth 10. And you get 100, you get a Mm one-up, which is very common to a lot of games. It's a classic mechanic from this era, but it comes in handy in this game for sure. Yeah, I mean, one of the cool things about this game is it does give you plenty of extra lives, which is very, very nice. 
when you go in and out of a room, everything resets. And that includes all of the jewels. It includes the one-ups. And the first tower level, there's this room that you can go in and you can just keep collecting one-ups, which is really, really nice. I think I got it up to like 50 men in my first playthrough. You know, I hadn't watched a video or anything on it, but I just kind of figured it out by accidentally going back into the room and everything being reset. Yeah, that was funny because you had told me about it and then I did the exact same thing because I accidentally went back into a room. I didn't use one that had a one-up in it. I used one that had like six of the big gems. Oh, wow. Okay. So I just kept going in and out of that room. So it probably took me a little bit longer because I had to go in twice to get a Mm one-up, but that's how I grind it all the way up to 99 lives nice. which is kind of stupid because you know save stating you don't need to do that like i'm basically i could just reload a save if i die but i just liked the absolute safety net of having 99 <laughs> lives. i get that way sometimes too <laughs> especially with my saves and especially having heard how challenging this game could be you know i yeah. was like i don't know what i'm in for i'm only on the second level here and i have an opportunity to bank 99 lives why wouldn't i <laughs> It's so funny when you talk about the challenge of this game. I hear it different ways. I hear some people say, oh, this game is so easy. You know, and then I hear people say this game is super difficult. Usually it's one way or the other. It's either like super difficult or super easy. But, you know, with this, it's sort of both sides of the spectrum. I'm trying to decide how I feel about that. You know, I would say the boss fights in this game are fairly challenging. You have to learn them for sure. Uh, they definitely have patterns to them, but once you learn them, they're fairly easy. But I would say like the outer yeah. world experience of this game is not very difficult at all. I agree, and I well, it's, we're getting into uh, end game discussion. But I would say that I think it was either Stubbs or Steven, first of all, who said the boss battles are very easy once you know what to do. Mm-hmm which is true for the most part. And when we get into talking about bosses, I I banged my head against a couple of them. But yeah, for the most part, once you know what you need to do, it's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. And then in the levels of the game, there were some parts that were challenging, but I really didn't get stuck on anything. There were a few like hard jumps to make, but then a lot of times I just forgot that I had that comet flash power yeah it's like oh yeah i'm supposed to just use this and i can get over there it was stuff like that like if you play smarter not harder (laughs) (laughs) the scrooge mcduck philosophy (laughs) (laughs) so i feel like you know i was trying to beat this game in time for recording i'm confident that if i had taken my time at this game i could beat it without doing the save state yeah yeah, i agree Uh, And for me to say that, you know, I'm not good at this kind of game for sure, but this really hit some kind of comfort zone for me once I got used to everything. Mm -hmm. The gameplay, you can really get in a groove with it once you get used to the controls, once you get used to Sky's kind of movement on the ground and jumping, you can really get in a good groove. And sometimes I was very careful in a level and sometimes I would just kind of blast right through them because I was feeling confident or whatever. Yeah, and one thing I like about the game is, like you said, you can kind of blaze through it, but there are some blind jumps in the game. Yeah. But even if you fall in something like lava, it's not instant death. You know, it does, you know, take away from your health meter, which we should say you do have a health meter in this game. But I thought that was kind of nice, too, that, you know, some games, they do have some blind jump areas and it's instant death. But this one, it's a bit helpful in that way, and it helps you get through certain areas. You could just comment flash through some of these side scrolling areas if you want oh, to. Oh, yeah. 
I cheese the hell out of that ability and that fact that you don't have instant death in lava, for example, in that one area where there's all those like canopies that you have to ride on. The challenge in that area is you can't tell which canopy goes where until you jump on it Mm -hmm. and set it in motion. And I was like, wow, this is just tying me in knots. I'm just going (laughs) to either jump in the lava and run like hell or dash through the level. And yeah, I kind of cheesed a few areas that way. Yeah. Well, I will say one of the things that I'm sure Sean likes about the game is it's very short. It's only like 17 levels. <laughs> uh, for other people, it's a complaint because it is so short. And I feel like if you know what you're doing in this game, you can definitely beat it in under an hour. But, you know, for a Super Nintendo game, you don't want anything that's excessively long unless you're playing something like an RPG or, you know, something like Super Mario World that has a lot of hidden features in it. So, uh, yeah, I didn't mind it so much. No, I'm, I'm totally down with the length of this game. I certainly didn't run through the game like you did. I couldn't beat it in one sitting because a couple of those levels or those bosses were not a cakewalk for me. Mm -hmm. And my rhythm was essentially to beat a couple levels. And in general, I beat two bosses a night and I beat it in three nights kind of thing. Cool. So it probably took me about between three and four hours total to beat it. Nice. Speaking of the gameplay, I just wanted to talk a minute about some of the different platforming aspects and some earlier games that it really reminded me of. You've got this platforming where you can jump from place to place, but then you can also jump and attach yourself to walls and climb the walls, which is really cool. And you actually have to use that in some of the boss fights, which is really nice that they tend to incorporate that in them. It reminded me a lot of Ninja Gaiden. You know, where you can like, of course. Jump, yeah, where you can jump on those yeah. platforms and kind of go back and forth or a game like uh, Gargoyle's Quest. There's also these other stages, which are kind of side scrolling with the continuous movement. It's like a shmup stage where you're flying on these wings. Wasn't really a big fan of these levels. I felt like it forced you into certain areas that, you know, you could get caught and there's like insta death and the flying mechanic yeah. really sucked, too, because you had to pump your jump button to make the wings flap so that you can continue on. And it reminds me a lot of that final level in Kid Icarus. In the U.S. version, you don't have to do that. But what makes the Famicom Disc version a little bit more difficult is that you have to pump that jump button in order to fly. And so, yeah, it was a little bit reminiscent of uh, Kid Icarus on the Famicom Disc system. Yeah, luckily those side-scrolling areas are few and far between. I think there's only two or three of them, but they're very short. So. Each one I would go through and just kind of die once or twice and through trial and error, just kind of get through them. It serves you better to kind of just focus on flying and movement than worrying about the enemies. My strategy was just like survive and don't get caught on the environment because like you said, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's insta-death if it auto-scrolls you into a wall. While I didn't love these levels, they didn't overstay their welcome. They were only a couple of them, and they were very short. And then there were those 3D flying levels, which I kind of viewed as bonus levels. They actually reminded me of the bonus levels from Sonic the Hedgehog 2, where you're in the half pipe. I don't know if you remember that. but um, No, I don't know that. Yeah, I'm not a big Sonic player. Uh, yeah, so I no. know. Most of our listeners will know what I'm talking <laughs> about, so that's okay. Yeah, it had that Mode 7 sort of like Space Harrier, if yeah. you're familiar with that game. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, it's just kind of a bonus level where you're just picking up jewels, and then there's these spikes that if you hit them, you automatically fall out of the sky. So you're just trying to go as long as you can and collect as many gems as you can. And again, this game's full of ways that you can get one-ups and uh, you know, it really wants you to accumulate lots of lives. It seems like it's really geared for that. 
Yeah, I'll tell you, <laughs> to be quite honest, in those bonus levels, I didn't even touch the controller because I already had 99 lives and I didn't need the <laughs> jewels. So I just kind of enjoyed the music and enjoyed the scenery and just let them fly. You got 99 lives and a bitch ain't one. <laughs> That's right. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about the sub powers that uh, you had mentioned before. Like you said, you've got the hot, hot dog punch and kick that you use primarily, but then you also have these secondary powers that you can use the shoulder buttons to swap in and out of. I love the idea of implementing the shoulder buttons in this. It just works so well with the Super Nintendo. You can just do it on the fly, and it just feels flawless. Yeah. What this reminds me of a lot is the Mega Man games, where you're fighting a boss, and then you get a certain power from a boss, and then you may go to another boss, and you can use that power, in essence, to aid you in that next fight. I don't know if you had those similar feels in these games. I can see what you're saying, but correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Mega Man kind of like you have to use the right weapon or you're not going to hardly do any damage? Because I would argue that Sky Blazer is a little more flexible than that. Mega Man's not really inflexible in that way. You can damage all enemies with your Mega Buster. So the additional weapons that you get just simply can give you an advantage. Okay. Fair enough. Then Skyblazer is kind of like that. I still feel like even going from the original bosses to the boss rush at the end of the game, I found myself using augmented strategies and maybe using different weapons and being more effective than the first time around. So, Yeah, I'll be honest. A lot of the weapons I kind of forgot that I had. You know, I would use certain ones over and over again, <laughs> yeah. and we can talk about that. And before we do, I'll go ahead and list them. The first one is the Dragon Slash, and it's sort of like a fire wave that you throw. You automatically get this when you start the game. There is the first pickup. It's called the Comet Flash, which is where you bolt across the screen in a wall of fire, and you can damage and take out enemies and make it to further areas that you couldn't get to from your normal jump. There's a lightning strike, which is basically a full screen lightning blast. Starfire, which is a nine directional shot. There is a heal. There is a warrior force sub weapon, which is basically temporary invulnerability and it doubles your attack power. There is a time stop. And then the final one that you have to collect the other seven to get is called the fiery phoenix, which is the ultimate power. And you have to use that against the final quote unquote boss. That's correct. Yeah, the Fiery Phoenix makes you kind of fly and damage. It turns you into a literally Fire Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it has the same controls as the side-scrolling, auto-scrolling flying levels we referenced earlier. Only anything you touch, you do damage to. And it is the only way to get the shield off of the first form of the final boss. And the way I know this is, first of all, because I tried. And then second of all, because I watched a video of somebody doing all the bosses without using any powers, but they made a note that you have to use a fiery phoenix to get the shield off the final boss. So I was like, okay, confirmed. Yeah, it's like the glaive from Kroll. Yeah. He goes through all <laughs> this hardship to get this glaive, and he only uses it against the final boss. But uh, were there any certain ones that you leaned on or used more than others? Yeah, you know, I use the Dragon Slash a lot, the one that you start the game Same. with. Yeah. Um, 
use the comet flash a lot like i was talking about like you were talking about just for the platforming aspects to get from one area to another to bypass some more challenging areas and then i use the heal a lot obviously if yeah. i saw my health was getting low and didn't want to die especially on those final battles yeah for sure yeah one that I didn't use ever was the time stop one. So I think this game actually, not counting time stop, which I said I never used, is actually pretty balanced for the abilities. The Starfire was particularly useful on two of the bosses, which we'll talk about in a second, I'm sure. Yeah, I wish I would have known that earlier. <laughs> I didn't oh, yeah. figure that out until I actually watched a playthrough of the game. I just watched one the other day just as sort of a refresher. We should talk about the bosses, but I I also want to know, like, do you have any particular favorite weapon or one that you didn't use or... You know, Sean, I was like you. I used the Dragon Slash quite a bit, especially for enemies that were across the screen so that, you know, yeah. if I had to platform and make and get in a certain area so I wouldn't take damage, I used the Comet Flash for kind of the same purposes because you can damage enemies with that as you move. And I used the heal. So I feel like just talking to you about this game, we relied sort of on the same sub weapon. So it does make me wonder if some of the other ones were sort of frivolous in this game. Yeah. I should say, too, the lightning strike is pretty cool, but I didn't see a lot of practical uses for it. No. Used it on the final boss a couple times, but that was actually not as effective as I would have hoped. <laughs> so yeah. One thing I want to mention before we get into boss battles, which is a major highlight of this game, to me at least, is that one of the things I love about this game is that most of the enemies are one-shot kills, meaning you kill them in one shot. So all yeah. these powers that we're describing, and even your hot, hot dog, punch, punch, kick, sometimes you're taking out enemies in one shot. So on the first hot, you already killed the guy. Some people might think that's a negative on this game, but I actually like that because it made the gameplay feel more fluid mm -hmm. and it could have ended up feeling a lot like a beat-em-up if you had to hit enemies multiple times where it does feel more like a very fluid action platformer. There's one level in particular where I was having a really hard time. It's the one towards the end of the game. I think it's actually the last level before you get to the final boss's lair where it's vertically scrolling. Oh, uh, yeah. And one thing that really helped me a lot and allowed me to beat that level quite easily after I was having trouble with it was realizing that the dragon slash kills those kind of brain enemies that eject these eyeballs at you. Mm -hmm. So if you go up and try to melee them, you're fighting like seven enemies at once. But if you do a dragon slash, it just wipes out like everything that's on that platform. <laughs> yeah. And that saved my bacon a couple times just getting through that level and made it quite easy. Again, that's another example. Like if you use the right tools and you do it right, the game can be pretty smooth yeah i lost a lot of lives on that upward scrolling level yeah. i got a little yeah, nervous right. about you know possibly <laughs> running out there for a little while but uh you know with the passcode i could get back to it but uh who knows where it would have dropped me off had yeah. i in game another thing i wanted to talk about really quick sean were the puzzle elements to this game there are quite a few puzzle elements and i know you're not a big fan of puzzles you know i felt these were very simplistic there wasn't anything that was extraordinarily hard it reminded me of World 8-4 in Super Mario Brothers, where you had to pick the correct doors to get to the ending of a oh, level okay. sometimes. And those were interesting. There are also water levels where you had to fire switches to make the current change direction. So some of it wasn't super intuitive. And so I was wondering, yeah. was this very frustrating for you or was it really not a bother? 
It's funny, when you first said puzzle elements, and I saw it in the notes here, I'm like, what puzzles were there? <laughs> like, I couldn't remember, but the way you just described it. Yeah, environmental puzzles, really, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's funny because you had kind of warned me, like, oh, some of these levels are a pain in the ass because you got to find the right door kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm prepared for that. But what I do, man, in those kind of levels, I just run around and just kind of brute force my way through. And, mm -hmm. oh, there's an area I haven't been to before. Yeah. I go into that door. Same and then, here. Okay, now I'm in a new area. Run around, see what's around. And, oh, there's a door I haven't been in. Go in that door. So, yeah, it's a little unintuitive and just kind of banging your head against it till you get through it. And the water one was a little bit more sophisticated because yeah. you have the water kind of swirling around. I should just mention another thing I loved about this game is the water physics because these currents will push you. If you don't like press anything, they'll push you in the right way. But if you push against them, you'll simply stay still, which is kind of unrealistic. Not many games are like this, but I found it to be useful. I felt like it helped me get around you know, water levels are infamous for being a pain in the ass in general. <laughs> yeah. But with this game, I didn't think it was. Even with the puzzles, even with the currents and kind of trying to figure out which way to push the currents by using the switches, I didn't feel like this was some kind of dreaded water level because I thought the controls were really good. I could make the character go where I wanted him to go quite easily. And again, just kind of what does this switch do? Oh, I can't really tell. Let's move around and see what happened. You know what I mean? So yeah. I actually ended up liking those, the one level with the trees and the doors. Mm -hmm. I didn't like especially like it, but the water level I actually liked, which is interesting because like you said, I'm usually not into environmental type puzzles, but I guess I didn't realize I was in an environmental puzzle. I was just kind of swimming around, flipping switches, <laughs> seeing what was happening. Yeah. There was a, another level too that had that element. I think that was the fire level. There was um, you know, a certain area that you had to go to specifically. Yeah. So we can kind of transition that into talking about the outer world map a little bit. This game is in a way, non-linear, like at first it's linear and then you get to those eastern plains and it gives you a little bit of an option as far as where you can go next. You know, the goal is to get to these temples and these different temples have the different sub-weapons that you have to combine in order to attain the Fiery Phoenix to fight the final boss. So it is interesting in that way. It reminds me a lot of Super Mario Brothers 3, um, how you can move on the outworld. You know, you just take different paths. But yeah, each of the temples actually represents a different element, which is, it's a bit cliche in gaming, but you know, it's, it was cool. Nonetheless, there's an ice level, there's a fire level, a wooded level, and definitely a water level uh, among a few. Yeah. I mean, I noticed the levels. I didn't know the temples were themed that way, or I didn't notice. So that's interesting. Again, you got these cliches with the lava and the, and there is an ice level. It just... Yeah. <laughs> it just popped into my head that sliding that platforms. One, yeah. yeah, that one was a little bit of a pain in the ass. But again, as far as ice levels go, so you know, you're going to slip on the ice. They did the controls really well and the physics really well. Yeah, so I agree. Like once you got used to it, if you made a mistake, it was your fault. You know, it wasn't like Battletoads or whatever. I'm trying to think of like really bad ice levels, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it wasn't like DuckTales either. That could be a little slippery too, you know, okay. in that level. But uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think it was bad at all. You could control it pretty well. Yeah. So how about the uh, boss battles? They're interesting. Yeah. 
yeah, I I really like the way it would incorporate the weapon that you had just picked up. Now, I mentioned that the game was a bit non-linear, so you might go to an area where you don't have the best sub-weapon that's suitable for that area. I know you mentioned the Starfire, and there's the water level that has the giant fish in it and the uh, mollusk that you have to hit when they open up. Yeah, yeah. And that Starfire can really help through that. I saw that on the playthrough that I watched the other day. I used a little bit different strategy on that one, whereas I um, kind of manipulated the fish to get them stuck behind walls. Yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> and, and that worked out pretty well for me, though I did lose a lot of lives there. That was a bit of a frustrating fight. Yeah, I thought some of the boss battles were very easy. Some of them were, you know, a bit more difficult and you had to learn them. I would say my favorite battle was the face where you had to climb the walls that were flying at you. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. That was very, very creative. And I really liked that a lot. Yeah, Steven was a fan of that one as well. Yeah. Uh, he mentioned you know, it's funny, the Starfire saved my ass in that one fight with the guy who's flying around and splits oh, into oh, three. Oh, that's the worst. Well, again, this is like, if you use the right tools for the job, it's easy as hell. All you got to do is stand in the middle and Starfire three times and he's done. Really? Because the Starfire, it takes out the two false ones instantly and puts damage on the main one. You do this three times and he's done. Wow. Actually turns out to be like one of the easiest battles in the game. It was the most frustrating one for me. <laughs> yeah. For so sure. Oh, I lost so many lives there. <laughs> because don't you have to do it within a certain time limit? Like, don't you have to hit him before the other ones reappear? Yeah, I believe you only have a few seconds to find the right one. And then it just cycles again. Yeah. The one that frustrated me was that rolling eyeball guy. And I was texting <laughs> with you like... This is a little cheesy because you can jump over him naturally exactly three times. And then the fourth time you have to use the comet flash. Mm -hmm. But then after that, you can't jump over him because he grows each time you hit him. So then you have to duck under him, which you couldn't duck under him before. Mm -hmm. So in a sense of... Okay, that's kind of cool. They used like geometry in this boss battle. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, because he's a small thing that will do damage to you if you just crouch in the corner. But then as he gets bigger, his surface area isn't going to hit you when you're crouching in that corner. So that was one that was only frustrating to me in a sense that I couldn't figure it out. And I kind of banged my head against that one the first time around. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I just had it in my head. There was another one I really liked. The flying little dragon thing that would hop around. Oh, uh, yeah, the, the dragon eyeball. one that was, was awesome. Easy. It was easy, but I kind of like... I think we're talking about two different ones. There was one that had like wings and hopped around, and then there was the dragon that was on the tower, which I did like that one. Okay, cool. I like them both. The one that's like kind of a turtle one. Turtle <laughs> one dragon. Cool. <laughs> he had the most like dynamic attacks, because if you were on the ground, he would dash at you. But if you kept jumping, he would jump at you, and it became easier to take pot shots when his head came out. Mm -hmm. So I actually like that one. I found it to be more dynamic than some of the other ones. But then the one I liked about the dragon who kind of just flies up the tower and you have to hit the jewel that he's holding or whatever is that it incorporated that mode seven stuff that looked mm -hmm. really cool. And also that you could kind of cheese it because he breathes fire at you. But if you hit him and then jump as far away around the tower as you can, you go back around the tower and see behind him and the fire can't get to you. <laughs> 
So that was my strat for that one. And it ended up being relatively easy, but I felt like you had to hit them like probably like 20 times. It was yeah. like, when is this going to end? It was just kind of annoying. Yeah. I'd say all in all, the boss battles were good. I enjoyed them quite a bit. I feel like the game does a good job of using the boss battles as sort of tutorials to make you use your sub-weapons and, you know, figure out which ones are best for each fight. I think the non-linearness of the game lends itself a little toward you maybe not having the right tool for the job sometimes. And I think that's where I got mixed up, especially in the water battle. Yeah, man. I'm pretty sure we the only one we didn't mention was the first boss, which mm-hmm. is pretty easy. You can beat him with the melee attacks. He's basically this... Genie, isn't he? Yeah, basically. There's this like small lampish thing, if it is a genie, that he kind of springs out, shoots two projectiles at you. The strategy for this one, at least for me, was you hit him, and then when the genie or whatever the being comes out, stand as close as you can to him because the projectiles are going to come right at you and then just move away a little bit and then go back in for another hit. Just hot dog his ass. Yep. (laughs) Hot, hot dog. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I think that covers the gameplay. So let's jump into graphics and environment, Sean. Yeah. Beautiful sprite based 16 bit Super Nintendo goodness, man. And the game is very colorful as well. I kind of compared the game to Super Castlevania 4 on the forum. And my thought process there was that the sprites are pretty large. And just that it kind of gave me the vibes of that game in the beginning. But as I played it more, I realized Skyblazer is just so much more colorful and vibrant. I wouldn't say the graphics are like, oh my goodness, they're the most detailed, amazing thing. But they're very clear and detailed enough that you know where you need to. Uh, we talked about blind jumps, but you know where you need to go. Like in Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, I was having a lot of problems of knowing, is that a surface I can jump to? And is that something I can stand on? Yeah. I didn't have any of those problems in this game. Everything's very clearly signaled. You know, what's a surface you can stand on? What's a platform you can jump on kind of thing? Yeah, the graphics in this game are very, very good. Like A minus, B plus kind of graphics. Yeah, I completely agree. The two words that I have written down are vivid and beautiful. I think this game had some really nice, bright tones. There was a lot of reds, yellows, and oranges in this game, which are just really, really nice, and some bright blue as well. So the game really, really stands out as far as graphics and color. The animations in the game are great, you know, from your hero Sky to your enemies and the bosses. The bosses look fantastic. Yeah, great sprite work. Yeah, yeah I even like the bosses, like the one that grows that gets kind of over-pixelated. I thought that was yeah. really cool, too. You know, it's kind of odd. It seems like it wouldn't fit, but it really works out well for that. But the other thing I really like about the graphics and the environments, it really feels like you're playing a mythological game, which was the purpose of the Japanese game. and like we always complain about, I don't understand why they change these things for North American audiences. Maybe they thought something with Hinduism would be off-putting to Christians or something that nature, but it's kind of silly. And uh, I think that it really takes away from the narrative of this game by making those changes and uh, makes it a little less like a fairy tale than it could be.
So uh, let's talk about music and sounds of the game, Sean. The music for this game was designed by Harumi Fujita. She did the music and sound effects for many popular Capcom titles, including Ghosts and Goblins, which she only did the sound effects for, but then she also did Final Fight, Strider, Willow, Gargoyles Quest, Mega Man 3, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, Tomba, and most recently Streets of Rage 4. So that is quite a damn resume. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, the music in this game is amazing. It, yeah, it has so that too. like Middle Eastern kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. It's very like stringy and not like orchestral strings, but like plucked strings. Yeah, or sitar so, strings as well. Yeah, to the point where I think somebody needs to like put a beat over some of these songs and rap on them because it, <laughs> it reminds me of like those kind of samples. I really liked the music here. It's really well done. Yeah, I agree. It's dramatic and intense most of the time and especially in places where it needs to be. The boss fight music is really amped up too and appropriate as we've you know said before about music. Like you mentioned, that Middle Eastern quality that it has to it is awesome and just really fits so well with this game. I can hear hints of Legend of Zelda linked to the past in this soundtrack. And I'd be curious if you gave it, you know, a listen on YouTube, what you thought and see if you hear these things. There's that dun 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 sound to it that, um, you know, the Legend of Zelda has in some of the boss battles. But uh, yeah, very interesting and conceptually, I felt like it fit the game really well.
All right, well, we are already at final thoughts, Sean. That was really quick. Hey, short game, short discussion. Right. <laughs> but I think we covered everything. Yeah. Maybe before we get into our final thoughts, maybe we should talk about the final boss battle for a bit. Absolutely. So the final boss was actually one of the only like points of true frustration for me in this game. And like I said, I did kind of bang my head against that second boss but once I knew what you had to do, uh, it was fine. Well, we should say it's a two-form final boss. And the first form is the one we were talking about earlier, where you got to knock off his shield. Then you just have to hit him a certain amount of times in his upper body. Unfortunately, he doesn't have a hitbox on his legs, which makes it a little bit more challenging. Once that is defeated, he summons a more powerful demon to fight you. It's a great final boss because... Unlike the other ones, this dude takes up the entire screen. <laughs> like, it really has the feel of a final boss. Beautiful sprite work, too. Amazing, amazing. And I don't know if you noticed this, Rich, but he has visible damage as you're putting hits on him. Like, his no. horns break off, and then his mouth starts getting, like, oozy at a certain point. Uh, I noticed that at the end, but I didn't notice it as I was going through it. It seemed like when I got close to the end, I could see that. But no, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch that. So yeah, what frustrated me a little bit about that was I got into a pattern because he does this thing where he punches out and then his fist will stay out and that's the platform you have to jump on and run up and kick him in the face. But then he kind of comes back and does three pumps. And the technique that I used was to jump on the first pump, kick him in the face, and then go back down to the bottom of the platform because he shoots this laser that is, to me, like almost impossible to avoid. So the only way I would hit him is the first time he thrusts out out of three, hit him and then jump down. And then you'd have to wait for him to do the one long thrust and then go into his cycle again. So it became a little bit frustrating because it's like, I feel like I'm doing a war of attrition here. Like just trying to get in, get one hit and then wait kind of thing. So I didn't dislike it. And I abused the save state situation <laughs> towards the end. Like, cause it's like, I know what I got to do. It's just challenging and it's taking a very long time. So I don't want to like hit him three times and then die and just have to start the whole thing over again. So every time I hit him, I would do a quick save. And the other thing that's kind of frustrating is there's one power up refill at the start of that boss. And then once you use your power ups a couple times, you're SOL and you have to do melee attacks. I wish there had been like he shoots out a couple enemies at you so you could kill them and get more juice for your powers. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, I think that would have made the fight a lot better. Yeah, and there's so much emphasis on you're not strong enough to fight these people and you have to have these sub-weapons in order to win. So, yeah, it kind of makes sense that you would be able to use more of those sub-weapons at the end of the game. So, yeah, great point. I do want to mention first, before talking about the final boss, the boss rush that you have to go through oh, at yeah, the end. Yeah. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise. For me... Anytime this happens, it's a little irritating because it feels like they're just recycling bosses and they didn't have any better ideas. But I will say that you only have to fight the first four bosses. And what's yeah. nice is you've gotten these sub weapons now and you've already done these fights. And so it's actually pretty easy. It's not bad at all. And there's these caverns that in between each of these sub bosses that you are able to power up each time. So 
it really wasn't that frustrating. It was more annoying than anything. Yeah, it's funny. The fish and clams feast boss battle was one where I did what you did the first time, which is make the fish spawn and then make them follow me around as I circled around the currents and snuck in for shots on the clam shells. But then the second time during the boss rush, I just did the star fire like you were describing that you saw in a YouTube video. And that made quick work of all four of those things at once and all the fish. And it was like just done in like a minute. So, yeah, the boss rush, I'm with you. I think it's usually just padding and it's like in this game, maybe it kind of needed a little bit of padding because it's so short. And in this game, it didn't bother me. It was a pain in the ass having to do that rolling eyeball boss. That guy, <laughs> like I still, I did it a lot easier because I knew what to do, but it was still like, I took a lot of damage and I'm like, man, am I going to die on this stupid thing again? But yeah, the boss rush, I thought it was fine to be honest. Yeah, I agree. I feel like when you see bosses reappear near the end of the game, you realize it's going to be a boss rush and you're just kind of like, shit. I don't want to have to deal with this, but I think this game does a good job and it presents you with the first four bosses, which are relatively easy to beat anyway. And so it's not as frustrating and you don't have to fight all of them. So that was kind of a nice touch. But yeah, I still feel like it's a bit of padding for a short game, but it is what it is and it's not overly frustrating. As far as the final boss is concerned, just a little bit uh, more information about the Japanese game. In the U.S. version, the final boss is called Raglan. In the Japanese game, it is Ravana. There is a Hindu epic called Ramayana, and uh, it has several adaptations. But Ravana is actually the demon king and antagonist in this Hindu epic. So once again, I just kind of feel like the change that they made just was a bit of a detriment to this game. So the final boss battle, uh, as you mentioned, it is a double boss battle. And the first guy you fight, you know, you can use the Phoenix on. I saw somebody play through and they use the Phoenix three times and just stayed on him and it completely wipes him out. Oh, I wish I wish I had I known that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for my playthrough, what I did was I you know, did the Phoenix and that's what takes the shield away from him. And mainly, like you said, you can't attack his legs. So it's sort of like a Star Wars moment where you have to keep the higher ground on him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just keep platforming until you have the higher ground each time, and then you can hit him with the attack, and then, you know, either jump over him or, you know, climb up the wall and jump over him or get below him until you can get that higher ground again. So it is a bit of a slow battle. That was the only boss I used Warrior Force, because knowing I'm going to go melee on this, so I used that Warrior Force. Oh, that's a good because, idea. Because, again, the, the hitboxes... I don't want to sound like this is a major complaint in the game because it's not, but sometimes it's hard to tell when you're going to take damage when you're fighting one of these bosses and they're these massive sprites. It's hard to be precise with where the hitbox starts and ends. Mm -hmm. So Warrior Force was very useful to me in that battle because I just turn it on and just go to town, like just go at him. And <laughs> yeah. it was very useful. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I feel like the hitbox in that was a little weird. You had to hit a certain spot, but there was no indicator. Like when you fight the giant eyeball, you know, obviously you're supposed to hit it in the eye. Oh, yeah. When you fight the genie, you know you're supposed to hit the lamp. And when you fight the mollusk, they come out of the shells and you hit them. So those things are pretty obvious, but this final boss was not so much. <laughs> so when I got through him, I got to Raglan, which is the final, final boss. <laughs> 
And I know you said this was a slow fight for you. Mine was quicker. I would get on top of the arm and then there would be like a laser and then there would be, I can't remember what it was, was like smoke or cloud or fire or something like that that came out second. But if you hit him and then you go to the far left of the screen, you can duck the first one and then you just jump over the second one. It is a bit of a pain because it is kind of a quick timing, quick jump event, but you can actually dodge it and stay up on the arm if you want to, to make a little bit quicker work of him. I really, really like this final boss battle. I thought it was cool. As I mentioned before, I really, really love the graphics. It's awesome. So yeah, I really love the sprite work in this final battle. It was really nice, and it felt like a very worthy final boss battle as in, you know, there's been several games that we played where I've been very, very disappointed. So uh, this felt pretty nice. All right, Sean, do you want me to go into my final thoughts first or do you want to go into yours first? I'll go first. I think my final thoughts will surprise you and surprise the listeners, although maybe it's <laughs> kind of clear by this discussion. Sure. I love this game. <laughs> I had <laughs> such a good time with this game. I just thought the presentation was great. I was really afraid this game was going to be like super hard based on its reputation. And while it had its challenges and I did have frustrating moments, all in all, once you get in the flow, once you get used to the controls, you get in a good groove with the powers, good groove with the climbing mechanics. And once you learn the game, so to speak, you can do really well and just kind of cruise through a lot of these levels. The graphics are amazing. The sprite work is beautiful. The boss sprite work is amazing and the characters for sure. Some of the enemies were like, what is that? Like they were maybe a little bit too creative. Like I don't even know what I'm looking at kind of thing. But I don't know how I would do it better. Um, at least it wasn't boring. It's just a minor complaint. The music, as we said, was amazing. I like the overworld map idea. It fleshes out something that could just be a little bit more interesting than just doing sequential levels. But that overworld map is really tiny. I think it's just a means to an end, a little bit of window dressing, but it's not a complaint. I'm just saying it's like super small. In the beginning of the game, I didn't know, oh, how big is this map going to be? Is this like a Final Fantasy sized (laughs) map? Is it going to be huge? But it really could only, it could take up like four screens. It's so small. But in general, man, this game made me feel a nostalgia for a game I'd never played before in a way that I was like, wow, this is a banger Super Nintendo game that I wish I'd played when I was a kid because I just adored it. I'd give it like a nine out of 10. My only major complaint was I wish there was some refills during the final, final boss. That's the only thing that I think could have made the game like significantly better. So, but yeah, this game kicks ass and I would recommend it to anybody. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you and I text when we play these games and I was really shocked that you were enjoying the game so much. And I was like, <laughs> is this Sean? Does somebody steal his phone? I mean, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad. Um, I always worry when I pick, cause I mean, to be honest, I mean, you know, I, I pick a lot of the retro games and you pick a lot of the more modern games, but you know, we always agree to what we're going to play. And so, um, yeah, I'm just really, really happy that you did enjoy this game because I really didn't know if you would or not. But my final thoughts on this, the game is relatively short, but it's not too short, in my opinion. I think it's just right. It's a good game that you can sit down and play through in an hour. If you know the patterns, especially of the boss battles, I think coming back to this game, the replayability value is that 
it is a game that you can just sit down in one sitting and beat. It might take you a few hours to beat it your first playthrough, but the game gives you a lot of continues, extra lives, has a password system, and so it's definitely beatable. And I wouldn't call the game frustratingly hard at all. The game has beautiful graphics. The music is fantastic, as we mentioned. The gameplay, I did have some platforming issues, especially with grappling on some of those small moving platforms where you have to jump onto the side of them, especially in the fire level where you'd have to go down and dodge things. That was a little bit frustrating, but the game makes up for it. Like Sean and I said, you can fall into the lava and still escape without too much damage if you've conserved your energy up to that point. But that is very much a minor frustration. I thought the game had really cool sub-weapons, but the game doesn't use them quite often enough as I would like. But I also think that if I was more aware of what sub-weapons were better for different bosses like I do now, I think I would have had a much better time with this game, and I would have used different sub-weapons more often. Like Sean, I really like this game. It's one that I would definitely recommend, but... As far as purchasing the game, and after hearing what Sean said this game was going for right now, $200, geez. You know, this was about a $50 game just several months ago. Yeah, I don't know that I would recommend purchasing this game, unless you're a collector and it's something that you really want to add to your collection. But uh, I would definitely say it's one you should find a way to play. Really, really enjoyable title. It's a fun month. Awesome. Well, let's talk about what we're playing next month, which is Phantom Dust. This is a card battler action third person game that is available on the original Xbox, but I would highly recommend, Rich, I know you are not going to do this, but if if our (laughs) listeners, if you have an Xbox One, it is actually a free to play game Excellent. And Games with Gold Game Pass not required. You can just go on and get it. And one reason I would highly recommend playing this version of the game if you have access to it is that in the campaign of the game, which is what we're doing for the playthrough, it's basically the entire single player campaign for this game is a tutorial for the multiplayer It's a whole fleshed out game. However, I think this was treated more as the tutorial that it is in this free to play version, because if you die twice in a mission, you can just skip it. There's a penalty to the rewards you get. But if you're getting frustrated by a level, which some of our players, including myself, has happened to um it's nice to have that convenience to just skip a level that you're banging your head against which from what i'm told by mr Stubbs, who just finished the original xbox version that is not an option in that version so i'm just throwing it out there that the xbox one also has amazing improved graphics and it looks really cool so that's august phantom dust so in the following month of september We're going to kick it back old school, back to the Sega Genesis, back to one of their flagship series. The Shinobi series actually started back in the arcades. That game was ported to the Sega Master System as well as the NES, but we won't be playing either of those games. We will be playing the follow-up titles, Shadow Dancer, Revenge of Shinobi, and Shinobi 3, which are 
all on the Sega Genesis. And Sean, once again, I am rolling the dice on some retro titles that I am hoping you will like. But one of the games, Shadow Dancer, actually has a dog mechanic on it that I think you may like quite a bit. Nice. I love dogs. Yeah, these games, I'll try them without cheats, but I might have cheats at the ready for these because these are actually hard, right? Like high difficulty. Well, my understanding is that the first two, Revenge of Shinobi and Shadow Dancer, are not. However, Shinobi 3 does have quite the difficulty spike that most gamers, I believe, did not expect uh, in playing a Shinobi game. So I think with the first two, you you might be able to make them through them. Maybe I'll be able to make it through them. I have not played any of these games to completion either. So it should be a fun month, and we've definitely got a lot of interest on the forums. is going to do it for another episode. Thank you as always for listening and a special thanks to all of our participants. In August, we're checking out a unique action card battle game known as Phantom Dust, available on the original Xbox or as a free-to-play title on the Xbox One. Be sure to log on to the forums at rfgeneration.com to join this playthrough, and we'll see you next time on the Playcast. Basketball. Bow. Blah, blah, bling, blame